Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Podcasting. Podcasting from Sydney, Australia. This is the Prime Podcast. Independent, unfiltered, and uncensored. Beginning in three, two, one. Yeah, I could. You know what? There was um before you start. There was um I, I put a post up last night on my story, and someone thought you were an actor. And they said you were in fuck. I liked. I think it was X Men. They thought that's the guy from X Men Origins. So is he the fuck? Maybe, <laughs> 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 maybe, but probably not. Uh, look, I, I'd be living in a much nicer house if I was. Um, look, I, I dabbled in acting, um, but no, nothing, nothing, anything as big budget as that. People have occasionally because there's not a lot of Tofers around. So Topher is just the second half of Christopher. That's where, but that's where it comes from. Instead of shortening my name down to Chris, I've shortened it down to Topher. And lots of other people have done that in the past, most famously Topher Grace, who is an actor. Um, and I don't know what he's done recently, but for a while there, he played a couple of sort of villain roles in Spider-Man and other kind of things like that. So that might be where they were getting it from. But no, Topher right. Field, uh, failed actor. <laughs> I will I will put, put that on my resume. Failed actor, um, turned political commentator and uh, also most recently the director of Battleground Melbourne. Battleground Melbourne. Uh, mate, I reached out to you immediately after watching that. So you released that, I think, last week. Thursday, yeah. was it? Friday? On Thursday, yeah. Thursday. Thursday. Uh, so I watched it on Friday morning. Um, and holy fuck, man, unbelievable. You know, it. it, it what I noticed to myself was it, it took it back to the beginning. and mm. sort of broke it down piece by piece and, and what's been said. And, man, we forget. I forget, you know, yeah. um, exactly what what's it, the way you put it, it it's – if I have a conversation with you like we do now and I bring and we discuss what was said six months ago, it, it's very hard to get the fine details correctly. Yeah. Um, yeah just yeah. because there's so much has been said, right? We seem to have very short-term um, memories. But man, I loved how you took it all the way back to day one. But I think that's the important thing. And that's really the purpose of, of something like a Battleground Melbourne. That in the beginning, a lot of us were on the same page. The people turning up to protest, the people organizing protests, et cetera, the people refusing the, 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 the jabs now. In the beginning, when we were asked to do 14 days to flatten the curve, we were on that page together, most of us, right? Mm. And all of the fracturing and all of the division that's come has, has come since then. And so really, that's what, I'm, that's what I wanted to document was to remind everybody, hey, remember a time when we were on the same page? Remember a time when we actually did put a bit of faith in Daniel Andrews and the government and the so-called experts, and we did actually all get together to work with them to their plan for how they were going to manage this pandemic. You remember that? And now let's look at how we got from there to where we are now. And, and in truth, that's the story of Battleground Melbourne. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's something that we all forget is that myself included at the beginning of this, when we first started hearing it, I thought, oh, shit, that's no, not good. I was familiar mm. with SARS and what it was like. I think it was in 2003, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. Um, so I was familiar with what it was and what it could become, you know, if it was out of control. And it's, it was concerning, I think. But you are probably concerned yourself initially, as I think most people were. And you were happy to make those. You didn't even question it. You're like, okay. Mm. And it was reasonable. What they were asking us to do was quite reasonable at the time. Um, you know, two weeks of flatten the curve, fair enough. No worries. I think we all took that on and done that and, and came together as a country um, and, yeah. you know, and did that. But as you said, it was from that point on, I like to say the COVID safe app. I think that's where from, from New South Wales anyway, <laughs> that's where I noticed uh, a lot of family and friends and, and people in the workplace were getting divided mm. over the COVID safe app. I was like, mm. 
you know, I don't really want to download an app like that on my phone. Then they started putting these weird features in the iPhone where you had to turn it off manually. It was automatically turned on. I'm like, that's a bit weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I think the division, where I first started to notice the division was around that COVID safe, uh, COVID safe app, which was an epic fail and just a complete and utter waste of money. But um, yeah, without doubt, the what I would say is obviously there were different opinions in the, in the beginning. I'm not saying absolutely everybody was was on the same page. And for me, I I was skeptical that the lockdown was necessary, but I was happy to go along with it as an act of solidarity, as an act of of, of putting aside my own skepticism and just saying, okay, fine, I'll get on board, right? Because I could very well be the one who's wrong here, right? So I'll, I'll get on board. I'll back what, how the government wants to do it. It's not a disaster, right? It's inconvenient. It is going to hurt some people. But 14 days, a couple of weeks of, of that kind of activity is, is not a disaster. So you know what? I'll put aside my own skepticism and I'll back that. I became very worried the moment they began to just extend it out on this indefinite kind of basis. And the moment the language began to change from flatten the curve to COVID zero, which I don't know how much that happened in New South Wales, but in Victoria, it became this obsessive cult of zero. And and as that language began to change, and that was in March of 2020, by March 31st, 2000, <coughs> excuse me, by March 31st, 2020, I released my first video on the subject where I was basically saying, hey, guys, we need to protect those who are vulnerable to the virus. There was, there was enough data by then that we could clearly see who was vulnerable. We need to take measures to protect them, but then we actually need to let everybody else catch the virus and get immunity. Exactly what's happening right now with the Omicron wave, right? Mm. We, are, we are finally, for the first time in two years, we're actually getting through the pandemic rather than getting ourselves stuck in the middle of it. Lockdowns and suppressing the curve and stopping people from getting immunity is only keeping us in the pandemic, not getting us through it. And that's where we've been for two years. We've been stuck, not because of the pandemic, but because of the political response that never allowed us to get through it. And to me, that was obvious already by the end of March in 2020, because the data was coming out from Sweden. The data was coming out from Italy. We had a lot more information. By the end of April, we had a a, a plethora, an abundance of really good high quality data that showed us very, very clearly who was at risk, who was not, and gave us a pathway out. Protect the vulnerable, let everybody else get it and get herd immunity, and then we can all move on. By spring of 2020, the 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 coronavirus should have been behind us. The reason we're still talking about it now is because of the political response. Mate, absolutely. Very well said. I think that's where look, there's people that are that were that are always skeptical of the government. And I think you've got to keep, always, you've got to be a little bit skeptical at all times. You have to. I agree. Um, yeah. You know, name one government in, in human history that has been 100% truthful with the, it's never, not going to happen. Yeah, right? never happened. So you've got, you got to remain a little bit skeptical at all times. But I think there were people that were overly skeptical and were straight away calling this, you know, um, scandemic from the beginning, um, you know, agenda uh, 2021, which then became 2030. It is now as it's yeah. known. There was a Look, few of those people. Um, can I jump in though and say I owe a few conspiracy theorists some apologies because yeah. uh, take take for example, like let, let's go through a few of these sort of early early calls that people made. Some people made the very early call that it got, came out of a lab. 
yeah. right back when all the media were telling us it came out of the wet market. Now, I was one of the people that dismissed that theory. And I went, no, nah, guys, come on. That's unnecessary. It's it's just extra noise that we don't need. Uh, it brings accusations of racism, even though it may not be coming from a place of racism. It, it's a very easy thing for other people to then criticize. Let's just leave that whole thing alone because it just seemed to me like it was just a, a, a conspiracy theory. Well, now... It's, you know, and, and you remember when that changed, we went from that's just a crazy conspiracy theory to that's the most likely plausible source in about two weeks. When the narrative finally changed, it shifted in only a couple of weeks. Um, so I, I owe some apologies to some of these, you know, crazy conspiracy theorists early on. Having said that, we also had things like the whole 5G wrapped up in, in all of it, you know, and other stuff that, that I think has absolutely no basis in, in science, no basis, in fact, in my, in my opinion. Um, and and so we've we've had this really awkward mix where some of these conspiracy theories have actually proven to not be conspiracy theories. The fact that it was partly funded by the US that found she knew about it, all this stuff like those they've been right about a lot. Mm. Uh, and I say they because I wasn't I, I wasn't jumping on board. They get the credit for that, not me. But they've also been wrong about a lot. And that's where there's just been a lot of noise and a lot of it's very easy for people to dismiss the entire movement on the basis of the 5G thing or on the basis of, of a handful of things where they really have been very wrong, in my opinion. Um, but credit where it's due, they also got a lot of things right. Yeah. And that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, when, you, when you're talking conspiracy theorists, and this is the issue we have with the media, is that, mm. that they will, and they're very, very good at it. So again, give credit to them because they're fucking sensational at it. The experts yeah. at it is that yeah. they can take someone like myself or like you. It's happened, I've just yeah. been articles written about me before. And I think the pedestrian wrote an article um, <laughs> called me a, a tinfoil hatter because I, I shared that. I don't know if you remember when that bloke allegedly punched the horse in the, at the first place. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I shared the footage that completely contradicted what the mainstream media yeah. was saying, right? Yeah. And yeah. their images. Uh, they wrote an article about me about that. Uh, pedestrian, I think it was pedestrian. Amazing. TV. Amazing. Um, and said, so, but take it with a grain of salt because he's just a conspiracy theorist. Well, hold the fuck on yeah. a second. Why? What have I said? That's a conspiracy yeah. theory because yeah, yeah, yeah. what you're saying is right. You have these people that are extremely like 5G, Bill Gates microchipping them, fucking connecting yeah. up to yeah. Wi Fi networks and all these yeah, magnets on your arm, all that kind right? of nonsense. Right. That's right. And then you've got people like me who will say something like, Hmm, I don't think the vaccine's very safe. They bang, they'll, they'll put me straight in the same category right, as people right, that's talking right. about 5G. Right? Yeah, that's right. It's like it's not a, it's not a and that's the media, right? I don't blame the people so much, but I mean at a certain point, you've got your own fucking brain, you can use it, right? But yeah, I think they've done a great job at that of getting people like myself and probably yourself. Uh, to a certain extent. Oh, for sure, for sure. And, and it's it's very attractive. It's very easy. One of the things that people forget about the media is that they are not there to keep you informed. They are there to keep you coming back. They sell your eyeballs to advertisers. That's how they pay their bills at home. And journalists do not get rewarded for doing a good job in terms of the integrity of their work and so forth. Many of them hold themselves to a fairly high standard. And I think we attack them unfairly. However, the reality is they get rewarded for keeping people coming back. And they also have quotas and deadlines. They have to fill a certain number of column inches. They have to file a certain number of stories that fill a certain number of minutes of airtime every single freaking day. And they're under-resourced. Their employers are, are often losing money. The newspapers or the networks that they're working for are losing their bleeding revenue because of stuff like what we're doing right now and the, the transfer of viewership onto online rather than broadcast. And so they're working with all of those pressures. And what that means is there is an overwhelming incentive for them to do what's easy. And that's where we see things like just polarizing people. If we shove one group into this corner and the other group into that corner and make them hate each other, then they'll keep coming back. 
right? I, I can I can keep the eyeballs coming back that way. Sitting there and actually parsing the 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 nuances of an individual's particular point of view has no reward for a journalist. Making people angry at that person has a reward for a journalist. And what we're seeing is is the entire establishment media, with only a handful of exceptions, is gravitating towards the the um, the seven thirty report today tonight. Um, kind of a current affair level of journalism. Now they used to be viewed as kind of the gutter, you know, the, the, the sewer of the journalistic world. Well, actually the entire journalistic world is moving in that direction. They're using the same tactics to keep people coming back and keep attracting the eyeballs. You've been on the receiving end of that. I've been on the receiving end of that to a certain degree. Although I, I do think overall, I've largely escaped pretty well unscathed and I'm, I'm not sure why, um, but we'll see whether that continues as Battleground Melbourne gets traction, whether whether they come for me in, in larger numbers than what they have in the past. Um, but they have no incentive to be accurate. They only have an incentive to make you angry and keep you coming back. Yeah, that's it. That's what you have escaped it um, so far. And I think I've escaped it to a certain extent. There's some people out there that get absolutely belted, yeah. belted, destroyed. Yeah. Um, I feel mate, I feel so bad for those people because a few yeah. of them I know personally. I think, fuck me, he's not that bad. He's a good guy. Yeah, you know, he's just he's he's got. Even if they're wrong, it comes from mm. a good place. They got good intentions. They just fucked yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, whereas I feel like the media journalists in particular deliberately deceive people deliberately. They know what they're talking about. Isn't the whole truth. And they're happy to run yeah. with that um, yeah. because they know, as you said, eyeballs on a TV ratings, yeah. keeps the, the, the businesses happy that, that pay them for ads and yeah. all the yeah, rest correct. of it. Um, and that's where I feel like this independent journalism, I said, um, man, there's so many of them. Rebel news is one of them. Hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that have come up in the last, especially in the last two years, right? Yeah. Um, I feel like it's taking a large audience away from those, the corporate media. And yeah. mate, I'd go as far as say as right now, the most important person in media in the world on planet earth would have to be Joe Rogan. Have to be. Yeah. Yeah. Right? He's the most <laughs> important person right now in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's insane. And the, the networks hate it. But here he is outrating by three or four fold the most watched uh, mainstream TV program in the US. I mean, it's it's utterly insane. But you also look there was a, there was a, a, a window of time where um, Rukshan, Rukshan Fernando, real Rukshan, um, was the most important person in Victorian media. Because he was doing what Channel 7, Channel 9, Channel 10 would not do. And that is he was standing with a camera at the very pointy end of the protest. And, and where he made a huge difference was through this period that, that I refer to in the doco and as sort of the CFMEU protests where we had a series of protests day after day. Now, he had been doing his work and live streaming protests consistently for months by then and had built up a decent audience. But somehow when all of that kicked off, people just flocked and they found him. And he ended up at times with over 150,000 people watching live watching those protests live, let alone millions of people then watching afterwards and so forth. And the number of views he got on those videos is extraordinary. And what that did was it disarmed the government when they came out and they tried to say, oh, all these protests, they weren't really tradies. You know, they were baby neo-Nazis. They were a bunch of, you know, people wanting to make trouble. Well, guess what? The next day, Rukshan's walking around going, hey, I'm looking for those baby neo-Nazis. Has anyone seen those baby neo-Nazis here? you know, and interviewing people and, and showing the reality of who they actually were and completely blunting these these baseless and, and frank, frankly slanderous attacks that had been launched against the protesters. 
And the government took too long to adjust to that. Mm. And they kept on pumping out these lies for a couple of days, not realizing until, you know, literally days after the event, hang on, we're just making ourselves look stupid here. And, and there was a huge break of trust. Now that wouldn't have happened if Rukshan Fernando hadn't been there showing the world the truth. Yeah. And there was a window of time, about two weeks there, where he was the single most important person in the entire movement down here in Victoria, simply because he would show up with the camera and show the world what was really happening. And the government, the mainstream media, the, the corporate world are struggling with this new reality. They're struggling to adapt. Yeah, and that's the way it's always been, is that mm. they've they've manipulated, I guess, in a sense, work together, the government and, and the corporate media companies. 100%. Um, and look, you don't have to look, you can jump on Google and do a search and see just how much government funding these companies have had throughout the pandemic, right? Forget funding. Okay. There. I mean, there's a $40 million refund that the broadcasters got on their, their bandwidth licenses, right? So there's a $40 million tax rebate right there. But forget that. The government, and I'm talking federal and state governments, are the biggest advertising spenders that these outlets have. The amount of airtime, the amount of column inches, pages bought by the Victorian state government, the federal government, the New South Wales government, et cetera, if you took that revenue away from a newspaper or from a commercial television station, they would go bankrupt very, very quickly, right? They're already on a knife's edge and they completely depend on government spending on advertising, spending our money to advertise to us. So how aggressive do you think a newspaper is going to be against a government narrative when they're being paid money to put ads, go and get your jab, you know, save the country, save grandma, right? Mm. And then what, run a front page article saying actually turns out the jabs aren't nearly as effective as we thought they were? Hell no. No, no. They're not going to do that. Of course you know, not. that would be that would be suicide. And listen, I would listen, I wouldn't do that, and you wouldn't do that either. That's the thing. People, <laughs> people seem to think, oh no, you know, it's very different when you're in that situation. Mm-hmm. And they're being blackmailed without being blackmailed, right? Correct. They've become dependent. It is a symbiotic dependent, um, um, codependent relationship. The media need the government in order to survive and the government rely on the media in order to, to sell their propaganda. And they have become a, a codependent symbiotic relationship. And we are the third wheel. We are, we are coming in and challenging that relationship and, and in, in a way making it redundant. People like Joe Rogan coming out there and reaching millions upon millions of people with things that you will never find in the corporate media, d- driving enormous amounts of revenue through advertising and product placement and so forth that makes any, um, any media owner jealous, right? They're all jealous of him. That's, that's the truth of it. They're jealous yeah. about the size of his audience and they're jealous about the amount of revenue he can generate out of that audience. And they're looking at him going, well, that should have been us. Well, hey, guess what, guys? If you want that to be you, how about you do the work? How yeah. about you do what he did, and then maybe you'll get what he got? Man, and you know what? He hasn't done like, all. Okay, obviously, he works extremely hard. I've followed him for years and years. I've been listening back since when his yeah. podcast was in was in triple digits, not four digits yeah, now. Okay. He's now right <laughs> for years, and the guy just speaks to the right people, keeps a very open mind, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's all it is. It's not rocket science. And- There's another layer to it. Let me add this. It's authentic. Yes. You don't have to believe that he's necessarily right. You just know that what he is saying and that what his guests are saying are what they actually believe to be true. And when you watch the mainstream media, you know that that's not the case. You know that in many cases, these people don't actually believe what they're saying. They're reading off a script that was written by somebody else or that was manipulated because of advertising revenue or various other layers on top. When you watch Joe Rogan, when you watch the Prime Oddcast, what you get is authenticity. Mm -hmm. We're not always right. I'm not always right. 
but if I say it now, it's because it's what I believe to be true right now. Now you can decide if I'm right or not, but you at least know that I'm not sitting here lying to you. And that's something that the mainstream media can no longer claim. And that I think is why, I mean, Joe Rogan, he does it very, very well, but there is this craving of authenticity and that's what he provides. Yeah. And, and craving of it because you know what's happening. The minute you say something, we've seen it happen now. Dr. McCullough, great example. Dr. Robin Malone, another great example. Yeah. Where they should be, at, they're doctors, they're professionals, right? Yeah. Especially Dr. Malone. He has probably yeah. just as much right to talk about these products as any other person on the face of the planet. Well, right? more than Fauci, more than any of our health ministers here in Australia, that's for sure. That's right. Um, but because he's not saying what the narrative is, they go, well, listen, we're just, no, nah, shut up. We're going to yeah. cancel you and, and censor that's you right. and deplatform you. And that's, that's right. not the way the world works, right? If he's wrong, give him the chance to be wrong, which means by, you know, let him say what he wants to say, let him post what he wants to post. And if people yep. can disprove him, well, then that's, so be it. That's what, that's what it's all yep. about. That's, that's the contest of ideas. Many years ago, I, I did a video called The Forbidden History of Unpopular People. And this was at a time when Julia Gillard wanted to introduce a thing called the News Media Council in Australia, uh, based on a thing called the Finkelstein Report. And, uh, and basically what that would have done is, is made the government the arbiter of truth. They would have used this News Media Council to censor and decide what was true and what was not. And, and the, the point that I made in that video was a, a couple of key points that are still very relevant today, even though, even though the News Media Council was squashed and that never came into being, the points are still very relevant. The first one is the minute you have an arbiter of truth, the minute, the minute you say, oh, people should only be allowed to say what's true, you run instantly into this question, true according to whom? Right? The, who gets to be the arbiter of that? Because we've got so many examples from history where the establishment were wrong and it was the kooks and the crazies on the fringe that turned out to be right. And the example I give in that video is Ignaz Semmelweis. He was a physician <clears throat> hundreds of years ago and he was the first one to go, hang on, we need doctors and surgeons to wash their hands in between cutting up a dead body and delivering a baby. Right. Mm -hmm. He the, 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 the fatality rate for birthing mothers at that time was horrific, absolutely horrific. And it was worse in a hospital than it was if you, if you were a poor person giving birth in a gutter. And he noticed that and he began to ask himself the question, why are more mothers dying when they have care from doctors than if they were literally giving birth by themselves? And he, he began to make this association. He began to go, okay, there's something about this sepsis, this infection that they're getting afterwards and something about what we're doing is causing that. And so he developed this, this concoction of lime and a few other sort of really unpleasant caustic kind of ingredients. And he developed a program where um, doctors in his hospital, he had a hospital that he had control over, had to wash their hands before helping a mother give birth and the birth rate dropped sorry the death rate uh from for birthing mothers dropped dramatically and dropped well below the birth rate for people outside of hospital and all of a sudden going into hospital to have a baby was a good idea whereas previously it was kind of a bad idea and the, his problem was he couldn't explain why this worked germs hadn't been kind of discovered we hadn't had sort of the louis pasteur kind of moment yet that was literally only about 30 years after he died um so he couldn't explain why it worked, but he had this overwhelming data to say, look at the data, look at what's happening, it works. He was pilloried, he was ridiculed, he was ignored, and he became more and more desperate as he's watching these, the, the numbers from other hospitals and he's watching how many women are dying in childbirth or, or of infections after childbirth mostly, and he started to lose his mind. 
because he's like, these women didn't need to die. You just need to listen to me. And he began to write increasingly aggressive letters. And eventually they used that to get him locked up in a mental institution. And that's where he died, was in a mental institution. And it was not long after his death that they discovered germs and discovered the mechanism by which he was right, which he didn't have. He knew he was right and he had the data to prove it, but he didn't have the mechanism to explain it. That mechanism was discovered shortly after his death. And then it became universally accepted. You must wash your hands. Right. Mm. And so here was this kook, this crazy guy who, by all contemporary accounts, was always a fairly abrasive character. And as time went on and he got more desperate, he became a really abrasive, obnoxious person by all accounts, but he was right. And people were dying because the establishment refused to listen to him. Sometimes we have to swallow our pride. Sometimes we have to put aside the personality flaws and actually look at the data. And that's what I feel like people have not been willing to do right through this crisis. They have picked a side. They have decided who's virtuous and who is not. They've almost, they've, they've applied this moral layer over the top of, are you on board the narrative? Oh, then you're a good person. Oh, are you opposed mm. to, the, to, to the mainstream? Oh, you're, you must be an evil person. And they refuse to actually go back and look at the data. And that's all that people like Peter McCulloch are doing. That's what um, Professor Johnny Anides did right back in the early days, um, the Center for Evidence-Based Medicine in the UK. These bodies were putting out data in April, uh, in, in, in uh, March, April, May of 2020. And they were ignored. The data was ignored because it didn't suit what politicians and media had already decided they believed. That's um, very interesting, a story about that, that doctor. In, I'll have mm. to look into that. It's very interesting. Would you say it was a part of a, a show that you did, a little series? So I did a video. It's on YouTube uh, called The Forbidden History of Unpopular People. Uh, it was, uh, I don't know, probably it was within the first 10 videos that I ever did. Um, okay. And uh, it still holds up, even though the specific circumstance that I was addressing in terms of the politics of the moment, that has moved on. The actual principles discussed in that video are 100% relevant. Very interesting. I'll, mm. I'll definitely watch that. I've, I hadn't heard about that. Mm. What I, uh, I was trying to find the name of this documentary that I had on last night. It was, uh, it was an HBO documentary. I okay. think it was called Between... So between two breaths or in the same breath. Um, hold on, I'll find it for you. Is it the right one? Yeah, um, binge. I, I think it was, yeah, it was an HBO one, but it was on uh, in the same breath. Brilliant. Right. What's it about? Brilliant documentary. So uh, this lady who's similar to yourself, independent filmmaker yep. uh, from China, Wuhan in particular, yep. was over there yeah. um, on, on New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, 2020 mm. uh, as it was all kicking off mm. um, and, and she's uh, a resident of the US so obviously she shouldn't be putting this documentary out if she still live there right of course or she'd be locked up or, or even worse but um, yeah. it was very weird from the beginning very strange and and, and there's yeah. footage that she shows where she got um, camera crews into the hospitals um, yeah, okay. where at the time the state were dictating who goes in the hospitals and for what media companies over there, they're all run by the state, as you know. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. she was really the first person to get independent film crews into these hospitals in Wuhan as it was just kicking off. And it was fucking right. so bizarre. It was the most, one of the weirdest things I've seen the response from the doctors, the patients, the patients weren't allowed to talk about their symptoms. Yeah. Right. Um, funnily enough, they're allowed in the, in the rooms with the patients. Um, but so it was just very odd. It was contradicting mm. each other. You could say, obviously, the state yeah. had a big influence over everything, as we know they do. Sure, sure, sure. sure. Um, but it was just so bizarre the way it was handled. It was dismissed. Eight doctors 
we're having a chat over WhatsApp. You may have heard about this over a WhatsApp group or mm-hmm. their equivalent of WhatsApp over there. Yeah, yeah. and um, they were talking about this, this which we now know as COVID, um, mm. pneumonia-like sort of uh, yeah. illness, um, yeah. and somehow those messages got intercepted by the government, um, and they were locked up for, yeah. for so spreading rumors. Um, what's, I, I know the app that you're talking about, and and it's worth people understanding this. And, and what is please a WeChat? hold that line. I, I was about to say, I think it's, I think it's called WeChat or, or yeah. Um, but hold your train of thought because I want to come back to where we are right now. But, but a lot of Australians don't understand this. There is a government app. Um, and when I say government, it was, it was privately created, but is now com- completely controlled by the government through which they make their payments. All of their, it, it's their messenger platform. It's their, it's their Facebook, their Twitter, their Instagram, and their, their uh, digital wallet sort of all rolled into one. Is that, is that across whole of China to certain parts? The whole of China, yeah. Uh, and and part of the reason why the Chinese government cracks down so hard on other messaging apps, et cetera, is because they obviously have access to absolutely everything that goes on inside this app. It's their app. Um, and, and it's part of, it's essentially a mass surveillance program is what it is. <laughs> and they can see who you're talking to, what you're saying, who you're meeting with, where you're spending your money. Um, and, and they just have all of that information there in a database. So if you become a person of interest, they can very quickly pull you up and see where you're spending money, who you've been talking to, what you've been doing, who you're associated with, et cetera. And this is a crucial plank in their efforts to get towards a universal um, social credit system. If you want to have a universal social credit system, you need, to know, you need to know everything about someone. If you want to know everything about someone, get them to live their entire digital life in plain view of you. And that way you can, you can then make judgment calls and, and give them ratings and penalize them according to who they talk to or where they go or what they're involved in, et cetera. And, and that is the method by which they've done that. Now, in that context, you can understand why, like yourself, I'm very concerned about things like COVID safe apps and things like that from the government. Now, they're nowhere near as broad reaching as what this Chinese app is. Uh, but the idea that the government can turn around and say to you, you must have this app on your phone. And you must provide us with information through this app. You must allow us to see, you know, certain things about you through this app. That is a very, very dangerous first step towards what mm. they have in China. I spent uh, I spent uh, two weeks in China, um, one week in in um, Guangzhou on business, and then a week in Hong Kong. Um, and I tell you what, I have no desire to go back to China ever. I, I, I it put me off completely. Yeah, it's not something that. You know, I, I used to want to go just for the, you know, the Great Wall and all these sites that people see. And of course, as a tourist, but once you understand the way the country works, mate, I'll be, I, I would, I'd be worried about getting back if I went yeah. there tomorrow. All right, well, I can't go now with the stuff I've said since. I, it's just, it's a risk that. I, why would I ever take that risk? No, mate, if, if they, they know it's you, which they probably will know it's you. Of course, um, my, my brother was there a few years ago, and he was telling me that um, he was just there for a holiday with his family. They was mm. telling me that there's certain parts of, of the city you can't enter. Yep. You've, got to, you've got to hand over your passport to certain places and hotels. Yeah, yep. they, they won't let you stay in the hotels that the Chinese nationals will stay in. You have to stay in like the four and five star hotels that, um, that where, where it's sort of, if you take photos and put them online, it's going to look better than if you went to some backpackers equivalent somewhere. Um, so so I, I have to say this fairly carefully, but um, through people that I know, I have been given some very interesting information around the how the Chinese government targets dignitaries that visit China. And one particular test was done. And, and I know this firsthand. I spoke to the individual that traveled to China and did this. 
they were given an extra phone and an extra laptop for the purpose specifically of running this test, this exercise. They arrived in China, went through immigration, were taken to the hotel. He locked that laptop and phone into the safe inside the hotel room and did not remove it until he left, unlocked the safe again, pulled them out, traveled back to Australia, handed them both over to ASIO. And they were loaded to the hilt with spyware and, and various other malware that had been brand new laptops that didn't have them when they left, spent a week supposedly in a safe in a hotel room in China, came back loaded with all kinds of stuff, uh, essentially to allow the Chinese government to see what was going on with what was being done with that phone and with that laptop going forward. So that's, that's, that's the level. Yeah, that's the level that they go to. So presumably, obviously, if it's a hotel safe, of course, they've got a way to get into them, right? So someone while they're out is just going into that room, plugged something into those devices, uploaded or, or you know, infiltrated it with the, the necessary software and then, and then walked out of the room. And that is just a standard, like that is so normal that our intelligence agencies ran that test specifically because they knew if, if someone was using the phone over there that it would come back with all the malware on it. They would issue dignitaries with brand new phones and brand new laptops to go and then they would take them off them when they came back, right? And so right. their own devices never went with them into China at all. But they ran this test. What if we just left it locked in a hotel safe the whole time? What would happen? And it still came back with all the malware and everything on it. Um, it what if, what if they can do that remotely? What if they can do that without having to actually physically have I access have no to no idea. I have no idea. And and maybe, maybe, uh, you know, this that's not my area at all. But it is interesting the lengths that they will go to. Uh, I wanted to get a phone. I wanted to get a working SIM card while I was in China so that I could make and receive calls without having to be on Wi-Fi because I didn't want to be using public Wi-Fi. Um, turns out the public Wi-Fi is probably safer than actually being on their telco networks. But you walk into their equivalent of a little corner you know, phone shop and there is a government employee sitting on a chair, bored out of his brain. And his job is, is just simply to make sure that no one is getting SIM cards and so forth without handing over their identifying documents because the government wants to know who has every single SIM card, who has every single phone number, so that if they intercept something and go, we're not happy with that, they can trace it back to the individual. And so they have, there's an entire government department and they have individuals sitting in all of those stores, making sure that the stores comply and get all of the identifying documents from people, such as their, their control over information. Well, they were doing that here for a bit. I don't think they still are. Now they've eased up, but it wasn't a government official sitting in there. It was just a person who was selling you the SIM card or the phone would ask for your Had ID. to get those documents. Yeah. 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 Was, well, was, they still do. You still do have to identify yourself. They still do it. There's ways around it. Um, but because there isn't a government employee sitting there and there isn't that same level of surveillance. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember we showed up at the airport. It was myself, and my wife, my son, who was, uh, who was one year old at the time, and uh, my wife's mum, who came to, to enjoy the trip, but also to help us with sort of looking after Winston and so forth. So, so there were four of us plus luggage. We showed up to a taxi, crammed everything in, and the taxi driver was very, very nervous about something and was talking to the guy that was kind of controlling the taxi rank and they were talking back and forth and um chinese in the south of china their default level of communication is very aggressive it's it's what you or i would if we saw that on the street we would think it's about to come to blows right but it's not that's just the level at which they talk uh, there and so we were trying to figure out what was going on i didn't understand but what became very evident as we drove was that he was terrified of these gantries of cameras so a little bit like a CityLink thing with all the, the cameras on it for tolls, only these are government-run, government-owned, and they're just there not to see if you're speeding or anything like that. They're literally there with cameras designed to see who's in your car. And he was clearly worried. I, I figured in the end he was worried about the car being overloaded. 
because we had luggage on our laps and, and that sort of stuff. But just seeing the level of concern that an individual had going about his job and his daily business and helping tourists and visitors get from the airport to their hotel, he was clearly very, very worried about these cameras. And imagine living your life in that environment where, where I mean, and, and we're getting there. We're moving in that direction. We are. But where you're surveilled, everything you do digitally is surveilled. Everything you do physically is surveilled. And they will they will punish you for anything that they think is is worthy of punish, punishment, which changes on a daily basis. Yeah, we're not far from that. And that's something that was really eye-opening when I was watching that documentary I was talking about last night, um, where she's going about protests and how, you know, you wouldn't dare protest in China because, you know, these six women who protested were locked up for protesting. Yeah. I'm like, that's happened here. Yeah. We've had people here that are locked up for the exact same yeah. thing in yeah. a democracy, right? Yeah, now, so-called. Yep. So-called democracy. Where she's talking about it over there, obviously she lives in the States. Um, and in the States, it isn't, you know, their rights to protest is much stronger than ours. Yeah. Although it's supposed to be the same, but they're clearly not. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, she's going through all these things that, that it's like over there in China. And it's the first time I've really seen actual proper sort of amateur footage from inside Wuhan as it was happening. Mm, mm. And man, I'll tell you what, it was, um, they, they intentionally lied, like there's no doubt about it, that yeah. they they locked people up, the eight doctors up at the beginning of January mm-hmm. for speaking about uh, or making up rumours about a, a virus, which we now know was COVID, mm-hmm. uh, when the first cases were confirmed at the beginning of, of December from the, yeah. what this documentary was saying in these hospitals. Yeah. So, and the government knew about that. So, they're obviously lying, like they're lying. So why yeah. are they lying? Why? Yeah. It was was it simply we know what they're like. They like to be shown as being, you know, the best country on the planet and, and you know the best yeah. government in the world. And that's what yeah. China are like. But is it that? Is it is it a pride thing? Or is it yeah. intentional to to yeah. sort of, you know, they know what's happening, allow it to travel overseas, don't pass on yeah. any information and let it do yeah. its thing overseas in places and- like the US and he is who knows, but it's very evident that. Something was definitely wrong. Something was very wrong. And, and that's really, that question is a Rorschach test. Why? It's a Rorschach test. Some people, their automatic answer is going to be because they, it was a bioweapon and they wanted to destroy the world. Well, that's not based on the evidence of what China did. That's based on your preconceived notions about who China is. Other people will say, oh, it's just purely a pride thing. They just didn't want the, the egg on their faces. And again, that's your preconceived notions coming into your answer to that question. It, it becomes very much a Rorschach test. The, the, the reality is it doesn't actually matter why they tried to cover it up. It should not have harmed us the way that it did. If we had responded in a much more balanced, measured, sensible way, then we wouldn't be talking about COVID now. It would be, it would be long gone, forgotten, because it wasn't that, in, in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't a Spanish flu, yeah. right? Um, you know, and, and, and we, we would have been able to get past it very, very easily. So I don't necessarily spend a lot of energy and time on the question of why did China cover it up? I, I want to focus on why did our politicians get it so incredibly wrong? Because if they had done their job properly, it wouldn't have mattered what China did. Yeah. And I've asked myself that question almost on a daily basis as to why, mm. because these people aren't stupid. These, these, you know, some of them doctors, are. Some, some of them yeah, aren't. Definitely. Some of them are for sure. <laughs> but you know, when you have these doctors get up on stage, they're not stupid people, right? Mm. They're highly intelligent people, um, not very witty and street smart, but book smart, <laughs> right? So yeah. it's hard for me to, when I look at the, the data available and I speak to other doctors, 
um, and they're showing me the data and I look at the data and they're not, they're not it's accurate. They're not lying. It's, it's there. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, and we, yeah. we all know, we all know the, the, the case fatality rate is extremely low and yeah. their response does not justify the, yeah. the, any, any part it's, of it. It's not proportionate. It's not proportionate. No, not in any way, shape or form. So yeah, these people can't be that stupid and naive to not understand that. So why again, why? Is it, yeah, are they trying to? Because, as I've said to people, what when I like post my stats up and I say, Listen, you know, there's been over a million cases now and like two and a half thousand deaths, like fucking, it's so insignificant. Uh, people, you know, you get people go, Yes, but there should be no deaths. Well, unfortunately, life doesn't fucking work that way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a part of life. So, two and a half thousand deaths from over one million cases, a fucking terrific result, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. and I'll say, Yeah, well, it's because of the lockdowns, yeah, but listen, that doesn't change averages. There's still that yeah, amount that of cases. Of effort, there were still a million cases. Yeah, yeah. Right. You and I have argument. the same. We, you and I have the same conversations with people. It's it is amazing um, how how very intelligent people can get caught in certain cycles of thinking and not realize how broken it is or how self-referencing it is. How how they end up in a loop with their own thinking, where they're relying on their own assumptions in order to justify their own assumptions. Um, you know, one of the things that that has been we've known for decades that just got lost in all of this is in any new virus, the early data always looks a lot worse than the reality turns out to be. And there's a very good reason for that. It's not malice or, or malpractice or anything like that. It's simply because when people start dropping dead of a new disease, you notice it. You go, whoa, what's what's going on over here, right? We've, we've had a dozen deaths or we've had whatever it is, right? We don't know what's going on yet. Oh, hang on, it's a new virus. How many people have had the, we need to know how many people have had this virus in order for us to know what the, is this a super serious virus? Is it not? Mm. Early on, they catch every death, but they don't catch every case. There's no way of testing for it. There's no way of knowing what it is. And that's why you get these early estimates. Oh, it's a 10% fatality rate. Well, mm. no, you've just missed most of the cases, right? Mm. And we know from past history that those early estimates are always going to be wild overstatements of the lethality of any virus. As the medical establishment is able to then sort of mobilize and start to discover more cases and, and get a, a better average, that number is going to drop massively. We don't know what to, but it's going to drop. So we should never be making decisions based on the early data. We should be mobilizing based on the early data to try and get better data, but we shouldn't be making wide you know, political decisions, policy decisions with massive implications based on the early data. And we knew that, but we, we, we forgot it. In, in the, when faced with, with the coronavirus, we completely forgot it. And in addition to the case fatality rate that you mentioned, you've then got to factor in the infection fatality rate. Hmm. So the infection fatality rate, the case fatality rate is the number of cases that were detected, that were officially formally recognized. But on top of that, you've then got all the ones that went undetected. And it's anybody's guess really what that number is. And that's what people like Professor Johnny Yanides and a couple of uh, US physicians and other bodies have tried to do is to try and quantify how many infections have we missed? And therefore, what's the real infection fatality rate? Because that's the number that matters, mm. uh, not the case fatality rate. That's a product of testing and, and public compliance with testing regimes and these sorts of things. So the infection fatality rate in March 2020, the infection fatality rate for the original version of COVID was estimated by the Center for Evidence-Based Medicine to be around about 0.26 of a percent. 0.26 of a percent, which means around about one in every 400 people would pass away. Now, that includes, obviously, the very elderly getting it, who are at high risk. 
And then as you go down to say below 50 with no comorbidities, the, the actual fatality rate becomes negligible. I believe it was 0.00004 of a percent, if my memory serves me correctly, from the, the study by the Center for Evidence-Based Medicine. We had that data in March. We had, it, we had even better data by April. And by May, we had a very clear picture. We understood this. But politicians did not update their approach from what they feared in January and February. And that to me is where we really went wrong. They reacted on the early data, which any, anyone with any level of research on this topic knows the early data is always gonna be more dramatic than the reality. And they did not keep up as the data improved and the reality changed. And for two years, they kept on treating it like this was Ebola on steroids or the black death, when in actual fact, uh, it was a severe, but certainly not unprecedented respiratory disease. Mm. And and less severe than than the original SARS. And with each variant, especially the one we're on now, it's if that original variant was, as you said, what point zero 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 four, can you imagine what this one is? Yeah, for for for, for, the, for a certain demographic, it was point zero 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 yeah zero 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 four. Um, for other demographics, it, it actually got up above ten percent. If you were ninety plus and already ill, uh, and you got COVID there was a very high probability that, that it was, it was going to be the end for you. So it is very serious for a certain demographic, but it's not serious across the whole population. And to apply infection control measures that have such a high economic cost, um, human cost in terms of years of life, uh, you know, people, people are trying to, you know, there's young people trying to get their life set up that have lost two years. You know, there's, there, there are people who are aspiring sports players that have lost two years of competition, two years of, of really difficult training, uh, inter, highly interrupted training. There are people studying that have had their whole study environments, um, you know, undermined. There are people who've spent 10 years building a business that have lost it. Like these, the, the, the cost that has been paid is incredibly high. Uh, and it's been paid by a demographic that was not at risk from the virus. That's exactly right. And, you know, people in my age group, your age group are the ones that have suffered the most, right? Financially, not being able to pay the bills, mortgage, rent, out of yep. work. Whereas the yep. people that are at risk, typically speaking, are the, the elderly, right? Yep. Who have already retired, who've already got their mortgages paid, right? Yep, yep. Now, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of government spending uh, under most circumstances or, or almost any circumstances, but I would have accepted as a less bad option, I would have accepted money being spent to financially enable vulnerable people to be able to self-isolate and have things delivered and pay the delivery fees, you know, buy, buy their groceries, have them delivered, buy whatever else they need, have them delivered, uh, have, um, you know, whatever medical care they need, let's, let's give the funding so that people can come to them for their medical care rather than them having to, to go out of the house for that. I would have backed a program that enabled the vulnerable people to effectively self-isolate. And I would have even begrudgingly, but I would have backed taxpayers' money being spent on that um, because that would have been a far, far, far better outcome, both in terms of the, the medical outcomes, but also in terms of the other, the collateral damage to give targeted support to the people that are vulnerable so that they can self-isolate, let the rest of us get on with life. Yes, we get COVID, right? The statistics are very clear overwhelmingly the vast, vast majority of us will recover and be just fine. And literally after one season of COVID, one winter, right? The winter of 2020, we would have had COVID ripping through. Yes, it would have put pressure on the hospital system. Yes, unfortunately, there would have been a few unlucky people who didn't make it. I was happy to take the risk that I might be that person, right? Um, in order for us to be able to put it behind us in spring of 2020. 
And that to me, that was the policy choice that was not made. And it was very clear that that was the right policy choice based on the data that we had at the time. This is not wisdom in hindsight. This is what I was saying at the time. Yeah. And around the same time, we had the issues with the suppression of early treatment. Mm -hmm. And that's the big one for me because that was obviously, it was deliberate. It was intentional. There was absolutely no, there was no willingness from from the government, or not just our government, but the US government, anyway. many governments around anyway. the world, anywhere so, to discuss these things and discuss data. And they didn't want to run trials. There was a very fair few done by, I think the CDC put a few through, but not, mm-hmm. you know, they were promising. Yeah. And you would think if something's as promising as it showed, then you'd want to run more and explore that yeah. further. But and at the time we had no vaccine. So that wasn't yeah, even on the right. table. They were talking and, about And no guarantee that we would ever have one. Many people saying that it's impossible to create one for that yeah. type of, of coronavirus. So yeah. that was our best hope at the time was early treatment, but yet it was mm-hmm. suppressed. I mean, so the, the, yeah, go on. So let me talk about political incentives because people sit there and go, oh, this proves that they're all evil and they're part of a plan and it's this big sort of conspiracy, whatever. Maybe. I can't say that that's not true uh, with any certainty, but there is another plausible explanation here, and that is perverse political incentives. So here we have a situation where even before they knew that they had a vaccine that worked, uh, large vaccine companies were signing up governments and governments were paying their money in order to be the first ones to get the vaccine. And this was very politically valuable because they could say, hey, look what we've done for the Australian people. We are, we are first in line, we're second in line, whatever. We're going to get the first batch of vaccines when they do become available. Um, you know, we've, we've signed the deals, we've spent the money, it's all signed, sealed and delivered. But they had a problem. There was an Achilles heel with that wonderful political win had a problem. And that is that these vaccines, because of the, the way that, that regulatory bodies work, were never going to be approved for general use. It was only ever going to be an emergency use, use authorization. And there's a problem with that. You cannot get, an, you, under Australian rules, US rules, UK rules, emergency use authorizations are not able to be given if there is another alternative treatment. Mm, that's right. So they had to pretend that there was no other alternative treatment in order to be able to get the, the politically valuable vaccines. It wasn't about which one was actually better. They looked at it and went, hang on, if we admit that this is true, then we have to tell the Australian people that they're not getting their vaccines because they're not going to get, going to get an emergency use authorization. And that is going to hurt us politically. That is, there's going to be a hue and cry from all the people that are terrified because the media has scared the wits out of them. The politicians have scared the wits out of them. We can't turn around to the people now and say, oh, sorry, guys, we're not getting a vaccine because we've got this other thing. And so suppressing the other thing became a political necessity. Now, I'm not saying that the, the, the sort of big conspiracy theory top down, they're all reading from a script thing is necessarily completely wrong. Um, but I do think that actually perverse political incentives have done far more harm than any conspiracy. Absolutely. And look, no one knows for sure whether or not these people all belong. People call them the elite. You know, they don't make mm. decisions. The elite make decisions. Maybe. I can't. I don't know. I've no idea. Right. So I can't say yes or no. But yep. what I can say is that there are, we've seen them. George Christensen's one of them. Senator yep. Malcolm Roberts, Pauline Hanson. Yep. We've yep. got um, oh, tons down of in Victoria. In Victoria, we've got uh, David Limbrick and Tim Quilty, two uh, two Victorian state MPs that have been fantastic as well. That's right. So you would have to suspect that if it was some huge government plot, right, that they would yeah. say, listen, shut the fuck up. This is why you've got to shut the fuck up. And those people would shut the fuck up. There wouldn't be this ongoing. Yeah. Because it's in, like you got George Christensen, he just resigned. 
He's embarrassed yeah. the prime minister for the last few days, yeah. for a few months, but especially in the last yeah. few days. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? So yeah, he wouldn't be the only rogue one. Like if that was the case. So that's and, what makes And if they're think. willing, if they're willing to do what they've done, then they would have also blown the whistle on whatever this dark body is that's controlling everyone like a puppet master, right? Mm. If they're willing to go as far as they have, if that body existed and they knew about that body existing, they would have blown the whistle on that as well, given yeah. how far they've already come, right? So, so I, I'm certainly very open to the idea, well, not the idea, it's, it's very obvious that there are people in positions of power and people with money that would like to control the world Right, that's that's very plain. You just have to look at the World Economic Forum, have a look at what they say about themselves and about what they want to do to the world. That's it's a, very obvious. That's a weird fucking group of people. That's a weird group. <laughs> you know, Bill Gates has delusions of grandeur, and he is very impressed with his own intelligence, and he thinks the world would be a better place if we all ran it the way that he thinks we should run it. There's no doubt that these people are there, but the idea that that then translates into some shadowy body that is controlling all the politicians, and then nothing happens by accident, everything's controlled by this group. I, one of those things does not lead to the other. They are, think of them as people trying to herd cats, right? And the cats are the politicians who are all trying to better their own careers and all trying to, you know, fulfill their own egotistical desires about their own self-perception of how amazing they are uh, and doing their own things. And these people, yes, absolutely, they're in there trying to influence things and trying to change things and using their money and using their power to try and influence things. But the idea that, that they are puppet masters and everyone else is just a marionette on their string, I think completely overstates the case. Hey, mate, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and this is where we've really got to separate the people. Like you and I seem to be on the same page of a lot of these things. Um, sure. Is that, mate, if I don't know something, I don't know. Well, yeah, I'm, correct. I'm, I'm correct. not afraid to say I have no fucking idea. Maybe, but maybe not. Those, right? those are three of the most powerful words in an age where people are craving authenticity, mm -hmm. right? And they look, they look at you, they look at me, they look at Joe Rogan, they look at other people. When we say, I don't know. I'm not going to answer that question because I don't actually know. Or here's the best answer that I have. But just to be clear, there's this uncertainty and there's that uncertainty. And I'm waiting to hear more about this. When we actually come out with, I don't know, it's actually some of the, you know, forget I love you. I love you used to be the three most powerful words. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Have become the three most powerful words. People will agree with an ideologist. So they sort of blend in and fit into a particular uh, agenda. But yeah. you can be in the middle. And, and people seem to forget that, let me, I'm sure you may know already, but I'll clear it up again. I don't have a problem with anybody that wants to get the vaccine. I, could, I don't give a fuck Agreed. in the slightest. It doesn't Agreed. bother me. It's, it's right? your body. It's your way, body. That's the point. The same way I don't care if someone wants to shoot up heroin under a bridge. Probably shouldn't, but yeah. that's your, your decision. I, I'd recommend against it. Yeah. But I don't think we should be throwing right. them in prison just for doing it. Exactly right. Now, I put a, a tweet out the other day and, and something I'd thought of, and I was just trying to find the right way to, to get it across. It was that, Efficacy does not imply necessity. Yeah. And that's very powerful for me because that's what I've been trying yeah. to say for months. And I put it yeah. together in a few words. So efficacy does not imply necessity. Just mm -hmm. because they, I don't give a fuck if these things are 100% effective, right? If you don't need it, you don't need it, right? Correct. So that's my argument with myself. Why don't I want the vaccine? Well, I don't really, I'm not worried about catching this thing. It's just like the same yeah. reason I don't get a yeah. flu shot. I'm not worried about catching the flu. Right. You know, here we are. We, we, we are border, We are very close in Victoria to mandating vaccines for under 15-year-olds. They haven't yet. They've made them available, but they haven't mandated them. But the path has always been the same. They make them available to a new group. And then a little while later, they make them mandatory for that new group, right? Mandatory for what? Just for particular like school and outings or just in general? 
if, if, if you want to go to school, if you want to go to sport, if you want to, you know, et cetera, they're, 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 they've now made them available and they, they will, they will make it mandatory. And what they're doing is they're taking a child's risk from COVID from zero down to zero. Yeah. Right. And so that's, you know, efficacy does not imply uh, necessity. The, the other thing, and you made a great point, even if it was 100% effective and 100% safe, and we knew that somehow, right? Even if we had that data and we knew that, that still does not mean that the government has the right to tell you what you have to put into your body. No. Right. There, there is a moral layer to this. In addition to the information, the data, the effectiveness, the safety, all of that, that that's an argument and a debate that we have to have. But no matter what the outcome of that debate, there is a moral, a human rights principle here that cannot be violated. It doesn't matter how safe it is. It doesn't matter how effective it is. No politician gets to tell you or me what we have to put into our body or what we have to put into our kids' bodies or that we can't do certain things like work our job, go to our own business. You know, our kid can't go to school if we don't comply with that. That is an entirely separate issue from how effective and how safe it is. That's right. And, and people can't seem to draw the line between the two. So no. you'll have people that will go at me for saying, mm. you know, oh, you're just an anti-vaxxer. Well, I'm not an anti-vaxxer for starters. And secondly, look, you can you can support the idea of, of mass vaccination, but you can also yep. support the idea that, hey, listen, we still have a choice whether or not we do it. Ultimately, Correct. It's, Correct. it's the most invasive thing to a human being is to be told by, by a, a body, a government body that, listen, you have to have this injected into your body. Right. Mm -hmm. That's and the most invasive thing. It can never be removed. People say, oh, but, you know, employers have dress codes. You know, this is one of the, the stupid arguments that some people yeah. are trying. Oh, but, you know, if you want to work in a job, you have to wear what the what the employer tells you you have to wear. Yes, but the employer doesn't get to tell you what you have to wear when you're at home or when you go out with friends. Right. You're on their time. You're on their dime. They do get to set the rules. Guess what? You can't take off a vaccine when you get home from work. Yeah, it's in a sure. different category of thing. It's about you as a human being, not your behavior while you're an employee. And mm. that is something, you know, it, 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 it's like saying, oh, well, the, the manager at my local McDonald's told me that I'm, I'm not allowed to eat it at Hungry Jack's. Well, I'm sorry, he doesn't have jurisdiction, yeah. right? That is outside of his authority. Mm. And a government saying you have to have this vaccine, they don't have jurisdiction over your body. They don't have that authority, even though they've forgotten that and they think they do. That is outside of their authority. And that is a line that we need to draw very, very clearly. A box around politicians and around bureaucrats to say, this is your little sandpit. This is where you do get to make decisions and you do get to make choices. Everything outside of that doesn't belong to you. It's outside of your jurisdiction. And if you want to go and play in those areas, we're going to tell you to F off. Yeah. And it's it's creeping in. As you said, it's not, it's not, it wasn't, you know, back in in March of 2020. Listen, um, you need to download the COVID safe app. You need to wear a mask outdoors with a scan in at shopping centers. You have to get this vaccine because people went, fuck you. And that would have been riots, yeah. right? That's right. But That's they've right. done it gradually. And if you look at where we're at now, like our government, like, to, you know, you're pretty much free, right? Everyone in New South Wales is free. Well, no, we're not fucking. Mm. We're still with a QR code, mask. Is that our free? Like, is that our normal? Is that forever? Like, yeah. There's so many things that contradict the QR code system. There's no yeah. benefit to it at all. Not, yep. not at all. So, yeah. Let alone the breach of trust where they've said this won't get used for other purposes. And then in, I believe it's WA, New South Wales and Victoria, I believe, at least those three states, if not maybe more, yeah. that QR check-in system has now been used and accessed by law enforcement and other, other government entities for other purposes. So on top of the fact that it's outside of their jurisdiction, they're not even sticking to their own rules and keeping their own promises about how this stuff is going to be used. 
Yeah, but that's a great tool for any police department, federal and state. Fucking great tool. You tell every, not only that, you can pick up on, it's, because I, I read the article down in Melbourne as to when mm. it all came out that it was used for other purposes. They're trying to justify it. Like, like oh, yeah, it's not a big, it's a fucking huge deal. Because yeah. not only can you track people, but you can pick up routines. Okay, this person must work at Woolies. Why? Because they're there. What do you call it down there? Safeway? Uh, no, it's Woolies now. They 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 homogenize the name across the country. It's it's oh, it's um it's Woolies, yeah. Woolies. Uh, this person shows up at Woolies every morning at 7 a.m. and leaves. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. They must work at Woolies, right? So yeah. it's very dangerous to have that information anywhere. Like I don't even trust the systems in place to contain it. All it takes is some fucking anonymous type hacker. Can mm. you imagine? Yeah. Oh, and and this is the thing. People say, oh, this could lead to a social credit system. No, no, no. We already have a social credit system. The minute you say, and, and this didn't actually happen with COVID. This happened under Scott Morrison when he was the health minister, uh, when he introduced no jab, no play. Hmm. No jab, no play is a social credit system. If you don't do this thing that the government has decided you have to do, then you don't have the credit. You don't, you're not a good enough citizen to participate in these things. That's exactly what a social credit system is. Now, it was a binary social credit system, a very simple social credit system that only really had one metric, and that was whether or not they were up to date with their, with their immunizations. But that was, that was actually where we had a social credit system introduced into Australia. That social credit system is slowly expanding. It's now around whether or not you check in. It's around whether or not you're taking tests and going and getting you know, PCR tests and, and rapid antigen tests. It's around now whether or not you've had your, your, your COVID jabs. Um, this is a social credit system. It doesn't lead to a social credit system. This is a social credit system, a simple one. But this is what we have now in this country where the government will divide you into the good and the bad and give you different human rights and different privileges based on your social credit score as measured by whether or not you've had these jabs. Which we're is exactly there. what they've done. They've done it. Yeah, we're, we're um, already there. In saying that, um, you know, it, it seemed to have, have eased up a bit in here. I mean, I can go and do things that everyone else can do, which is which is a good thing. But again, yeah. I'm not naive. To not so in Victoria. That, that they can just not click so their fingers and fucking... Yeah. Well, that's what I find hard to believe. I, I feel like if, you know, if New South Wales haven't... Look, how does... They, they should be working in unison, first of all. We're one yeah. country, right? So yeah, we should yeah, be working yeah. together. How can Daniel Andrews have a different set of rules imposed on, on you guys than what we have up here? Like, yeah. doesn't somewhere in the middle go, hey, listen, you yeah. just look ridiculous. She's just contradicting each other. Well, this is where the political incentives come in again. So Daniel Andrews being Labor and the federal government being, being liberal, Daniel Andrews has a political incentive to not go along with whatever the federal government says. Mm. The New South Wales government being liberal they don't have a political incentive to, to, to disobey or to, to, to go their own way. They have a political incentive to align more closely with what the federal government says. Now, have a look, you know, all the way through Scott Morrison, he's been flip-flopping, saying one thing, doing another, et cetera. But pretty consistently, the Labor states, and especially um, Queensland, WA, and Victoria, and now NT as well, all held by Labor governments, They've always consistently said, that's not enough. We, we're going to go harder. We're going to do more than what Scott Morrison said. He laid out his national plan. That's not good enough. We're going to do all of this stuff. And then eventually we'll come down to where the national plan is, but we're going to go our own way. The, the reason why that happened across all the Labor-held states is because they have a political incentive. They become more popular with their base if they turn around and say, no, Liberal Prime Minister, that's not good enough. We're going to go further. We're going to do more. Understand also... Politicians have an incentive to do something. Doesn't matter if it's the right thing. Doesn't matter even if it works or not. 
they have a, an incentive to do something. The news starts saying, hey, there's this new virus. It's really dangerous. It's, it's going to kill grandma. The politician that turns around and says, okay, guys, I don't think we have enough data yet. We're just going to hold station. If you're concerned about it, maybe you stay home. You can make that choice yourself, but we're not going to do anything drastic. That politician is going to have all the media slamming them, their, op their political opposition slamming them, community groups and fear-mongering groups slamming them for, for their own attention, for their own purposes, right? The politician that says, oh, there's this thing, it's going to kill everybody, I'm going to do this to save you, they, politically, they win. doesn't matter if this, whatever it is, actually works, because if it works and, and, and you know, they get to claim credit for it, if, <clears throat> if it doesn't work... They get to go, oh, can you imagine how much worse this would have been if it weren't for that? If I hadn't done this, how much worse it would be? They can't lose. No, and they're so doing the exact same thing with the, with, the, with the jabs. Correct. Exactly the Correct. same thing. Oh, yeah, listen, yep. it, it, it's, it's, you know, it doesn't stop it, uh, stop you getting it or spreading it, but imagine how much worse it would have been. How the fuck do you know that? Like, people yeah. make that claim, I had COVID. I see it all the time. I had COVID, yeah. thank God I was vaccinated, otherwise I might have died. Yeah. You can't possibly know that. Like, that's outright bullshit you have it's, no idea it's absurd yeah now someone made a really good point and i don't know who this originated with i'd love to give them credit for it because it's a fantastic point that i only saw just the other day if they didn't know that these jabs were going to lose their effectiveness so quickly you know three or four months if they didn't know the long-term effectiveness of the jabs how can they claim to know the long-term safety yeah exactly right very good point We've, we we have seen it's as clear as day. They did not know the long-term effectiveness of the jabs. The claims they made early on are completely different to the claims they're making now. They said two jabs and you'll be right. They said two jabs and you'll have better long-term immunity than if you've had the virus. Remember, remember that whole thing around yeah. oh, but getting the virus doesn't give you long-term immunity, right? Mm. But, but if you get the jab, then, then you'll have long-term immunity. That's when you'll be safe. That's what they said early on. Now they're saying you've got to get another booster every three months, is it now, in, 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 yeah. in New South Wales or something? That's what they're talking about. And right? down there as they well, did. Dan Andrews came out and said that yesterday. Oh, that's right. He did, he did too. Yes, that's right. And, and so they did not know the long-term effectiveness. How can they possibly claim to know the long-term safety? Mm. Well, I don't think they even... The, beyond the words of long-term safety, where is it? Show me it. They haven't got it. Yeah. yeah. Right. So they, they don't have it. Period. They just we're still know, in the trial phase. Of course we are. And you know yeah. what? There's no shame in, in saying, well, I guess maybe they're in the it's their reputation, but as you said, I don't know is powerful. And what's mm -hmm. just as powerful is I'm sorry. We're yeah. sorry. We fucked yeah. up. Sorry. Yeah. Let, let's let's redo this again. We've begun to see that from a few media outlets. I think there was one in Denmark that came out and said, we're sorry, we didn't hold the politicians accountable to the data. We didn't hold their feet to the fire the way that we should have. There's, there's the first signs of that beginning to creep in, which I think is really good, but we need a lot more of that from a lot more people. Yeah, we do, and a lot more, especially here. But, you know, to think that's happened, this is going on in, in this country, for me, I still can't wrap my head around it. And, you know, you almost, you don't want to believe it. You, yeah. you, you're always in the back of your mind thinking, okay, I hope and I'm putting trust that everything they're saying is is right that there's no ulterior motive this is exactly what they're saying and i trust them i'd love i'd love to think that but i just can't because it's inconsistent it's inconsistent the states can't even get on the same page right so there's inconsistency with their messaging like yeah. was it what was it originally i can't even remember now what was it originally six months the boosters was it uh, well, well, first no, of all, no boosters. yeah originally you weren't going to need boosters you just had to be double jabbed 
Yeah, and then it was what six months, I think. I was yes, I think six months, and then that's been creeping down five months, four months. Now we're at three months, and people are still getting the virus anyway, even with boosters. Yeah, well, and they're still dying with boosters. That's right, and you know, you look at the the um, the, the I'm trying to think of his name now because I'd love to give him credit, but you seen the doctor over in the UK who stood up and he spoke to that. The, I think it's the health minister or someone over there in the UK uh, right. in the hospital, and he was talking How about long ago? in the last two weeks. We were uh, speaking I've about. I've, I've been so buried with the doco, I've missed everything. You would have. Um, it was like he called him out on it and said, "Well, listen, I, I don't want to get the vaccine because of this, this, this. If I do get the vaccine, you know, the immunity seems to be somewhere between six and eight weeks. Um, you know, in order to keep everyone's levels optimal, you would have yeah. to give everyone a shot every month, which is yeah. which is right. So if yeah. you want to keep levels high, like we're talking, let's just say ninety percent efficacy, ninety three percent, whatever they claim to be." Yeah. Um, that drops down to 70, drops down to 60, 50, 30, 20. So as soon as you start hitting really anything below 90, over 90, yeah. anything below 90, you're going to start having these breakthrough cases creep in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You can't keep people's levels at, at that 90% efficacy. It's impossible. You'd be jabbing people every second or third week. The, the, the business model here is brilliant. What, what the Fantastic. pharmaceutical companies have done is turn every single human being into like an, an antivirus subscription. You know, back in the day, you don't need it so much anymore, but back in the day, you had to have McAfee or Norton or whatever, and you paid them a subscription fee and you would download regular updates to your antivirus system. Mm. What they've done is turned every single human being into a subscriber to their antivirus updates. You have to patch mm. your, your antivirus every month or every at the moment, every three months. But like you said, it's coming down. Was six, five, four, three, where's it going to stop? Um, you, you're not wrong about what you just said. I mean, it, it, the only way for this to make sense is every month because the efficacy yeah. drops off so quickly. Um, you know, the silver lining in all of that is that there are a lot of people who begrudgingly went along with the jabs, mm. right? They didn't want to. There are a lot of people who didn't want to have any of them, but they, they begrudgingly went along with it. And as it becomes one booster, two booster, three booster, more and more of these people are just going, no, nah, I'm out. I'm done. I'm getting off your hamster wheel. Um, down here in Victoria, I think it was um, Daniel Andrews just the other day in one of his press conferences said that the uptake had been very disappointing at only about 30% for boosters, right? Uh -huh. Now, if, if he's claiming whatever it is, 90-something percent um, adults double jabbed, but only 30% boosters, there's a hell of a lot of people there going, nah, I'm, I'm yeah. done. I'm off the Ferris wheel. You know? And that's only going to get worse from his perspective as he pushes the fourth, the fifth, et cetera, which inevitably have to come. Yeah, of course. And you know what? It's not going to get to a point where this this booster shot is the end all. Like this is it. That's the last one. You're protected for life. It's never going to happen. The science doesn't support nothing. They're not even suggesting that. So yes, correct. It's an ongoing, as you said, a subscription service. Um, great for the pharmaceutical companies. Fucking master oh, stroke. Master stroke. Right. Um, I, I, I'd give the analogy of gyms. Right. You know, yeah. gymnasiums. So they originally, you know, you you walked up to the front door, you paid money to go in and use their gear. And then at some point, some genius went, hang on, what if we just turn this into a subscription model so we get paid whether people turn up or not, right? And we've all had that situation where we're, we're a member of a gym and we're paying them their monthly fee and we're not showing up, mm. right? Well, this is what the pharmaceutical companies have done. Instead of them getting money when we actually need medicine, now we're on a subscription and they're getting paid whether we're sick, whether we're healthy, no matter what, they're mm. getting paid. It's a brilliant, brilliant business model for them. Absolutely. And it's, it's you know what? What's the Pfizer slogan? One for health or all for health or something? Their, their slogan is something like that. Yeah. Something. Listen, they're a business. Mm. They're, they're, they're a for-profit business, right? Yeah. yeah. If you're yeah, sick, no that makes with, their money. I, I've got no problem with for-profit. I'm a capitalist, right, through and through. Mm. 
I've got no problem with healthcare for profit. I've got no issue with that. But healthcare for profit in partnership with regulatory requirements that people have to take it, that's no longer capitalism. That's, that's cronyism. That's mm. big business and government in bed together for mutual benefit. That symbiotic relationship, same as the media. Mm. Now there's this symbiotic codependent relationship between big healthcare and the government where, where they are you know, donating to political parties and they're supporting various things and politicians are making sure that their products sell really well because they're making them mandatory. That's not capitalism at work, right? That's, that is cronyism. That is the lowest and basest form of corruption in, in my personal opinion. Yeah, it is. But back to that point I was making out there are for profit, which again is fine. We, we yeah. should all be able to make money, uh, but you got to keep that in mind. These people have just this blind faith that they're only going to do what's right for people. I said, understand that. I hope so. I hope that's the case. And I'm sure they do that. Their, their medicine save lives every day. There's no doubt sure. about that. Yeah, yeah. But they're still in the business of money and making money. That's what they want to do. Correct. So, Correct. yeah, okay, they do care about your health, but they also care about money. And that's that's evident if you look at the price of insulin. Insulin's cheap, mm. right? Mm. The markup on insulin's ridiculous. So yeah. you can look at, so people need to understand that. As much mm. as you'd like to think that these people have our best interest in our health um, yeah. at the forefront of their mind, yeah, but that also goes hand in hand with with, with yeah. the dollar. They're also looking at the share price and the bonus structure that they're on and mm. you know the, their golden parachute when they retire and all that sort of stuff. And there's another layer to that as well. And that is, and, and this is, I think, a, a really big problem that we need to figure out a way to address. And I don't know what that looks like, but politicians who then go, when they end their career in politics, they end up sitting on the board of a bunch of companies that they handed contracts to. This is particularly obvious in defense. So someone who's a defense minister, it's very common throughout the world. And it's happened here in Australia where a defense minister retires out of politics and immediately gets put on the board of companies that they awarded multi-million, hundred million, you know, sometimes billion dollar contracts to. Mm. And there is the incentive, and I'm not saying any individual has done this, but there is the incentive to be looking at who's going to feather my nest after I've left politics when considering who to award a contract to. And when you've got a situation where you know someone, someone can retire out of politics and hypothetically end up on the board of Pfizer, end up on the board of Johnson & Johnson, end up on wherever, on a six or seven figure annual salary for just turning up to a handful of board meetings every year, um, and of course, the, it's justified by, oh, no, we need this person on our board because they understand the regulatory environment. They can help us as we have to work with governments every day. It's, it can be justified, mm. but it can also lead to influencing decisions and, and another form of, of corruption. So I, I think there needs to be some measure put in place that actually stops politicians from accepting roles from companies that they handed contracts to while they were in politics. Absolutely, there should be. And I'm waiting to see where Greg Hunt lands because he's resigned. I'll be very interested to see where he lands. He will be an interesting one to watch to test this yeah. hypothesis. Yeah. And, and you know what? If he jumps on, on the board of a pharmaceutical company, well, fuck, you would have to suspect that something's not right. Something's Something, going on. It, it, at a minimum, what, you, what we can say is that it has the appearance of, of corruption. And the yeah. appearance of corruption is every bit as toxic to trust and the community relationship with, with the government as actual corruption is. So even if there was no actual corruption involved, if he were to accept such a role, it would give rise to the appearance of corruption. And at a minimum, uh, they should not be allowed to do that simply to avoid the appearance. Mm. Yeah, there should be something in place. Um, and I'm yeah. sure there is in some countries that have to be, especially sort of, there would be. Um, but we need that over here because it, it guarantees, it assures that it's a trust thing, right? It's a public trust thing where- Correct, correct. You know, you can't trust the people that you think, oh, okay, well, listen, if they award contracts to this mob, this mob, this mob, this mob, 
they're set up for life. Yeah, that's right. That's How right. do we know they're going to do, you know, make the, the, the best decision for us? I think that'll solve yeah. that problem. Um, if they can somehow, how they will do it, I don't know. It'd be very hard to to police that. You know, if yeah, they- look, that, that's that's an issue for another day. And, and you know, we, we have other hurdles that we need to cross before that really becomes the next big thing that we need to tackle. Um, but it is, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's there in the back of my brain as one of those things that at some point in time, we need to deal with this because um, not, again, not talking about any specific politicians. And, but if you, if you look over time, it has happened numerous times and each time it happens, it gives rise to the appearance of corruption and makes people ask the question of whether those decisions and whether those contracts were awarded in the best interest of taxpayers who were funding the contracts or whether there was a degree of influence of if I do this, then I'm set up for life. You know, I mean, we're all human. That, 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 that thought that thought has to cross their mind. Of course it does. And you know what? It'll cross my mind and it'll cross your mind. Right? We'll sure. be lying. We said it sure. wouldn't. Yeah. I wanted to, to I've just seen it uh, popped up again. Um, I'm probably never going to find it. <laughs> I, I, I like to take screenshots of shit I see because um, the chance of me going back into a post and finding it again, yeah, yeah very not going to happen. But it was um, very interesting. So there was a a Facebook post. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to find it. There was a Facebook post going around about a child who apparently had died in Sydney from the vaccine. Have you yeah, seen that? I, I saw that. Yeah, and I it believe kept it was a, censored. And yeah, removed I believe it's a seven year old, if my memory serves me correctly. Yes. Now. Yeah. Um, the Telegraph in New Zealand shared that story from that mother, right. apparently. Um, well, not apparently, they did. They shared that yeah, yeah, uh, yesterday. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I've, I've gone on Google and done a search and it's been fact-checked. Yeah. Right? Been fact-checked. And yeah. they've said the story is false, right? Yeah. They've said the story is false. And I, I thought, okay, I'll click on their explanation as to why. They must have a very good explanation, mm. right? To call someone a liar, you'd have to be... Mm fairly fucking confident right anyway so about re- something is as, as deeply personal as the death of a oh, child absolutely so anyway mm. i go down there and they pretty much say that look we don't know for sure but due to a lack of you know um newspaper you know like the funeral notices and all those things yeah. that get put in papers due to a lack of the, that data available we've deemed it to be false i'm thinking you can't what the fuck you can't say that's yeah. false because you can't find a, a snippet in the newspaper or on google yeah, yeah, yeah. like that's yeah, like exactly. at least say exactly. unsure yeah. Um, and that's another thing yeah. that, that we're dealing with at the moment is these fact checkers. They're a fucking huge problem. Huge problem. And um, uh, um, Meta, the owners of Facebook, have come out uh, a little while ago, a couple of months ago now, I think it was, and admitted that the fact checks are not actual facts. They are opinions. And they've yeah. admitted that. And they, and they had to do that because the, their liability, uh, if they were then found to be the ones spreading misinformation, um, they would lose their protection under, I think it's section 200 or whatever of the US code that because they claim to only be a platform and not a publisher, they're not liable if anything turns out to be wrong that they that, that is put up on their platform, right? And if they turned around and said, no, 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 our fact checks are actually facts, then they become a publisher of those and they become liable anytime one of those turns out to be wrong, which we know for a fact, often they turn, the fact checks turn out to be, to be wrong. And mm-hmm. so they've put themselves in this really impossible situation where in order to enjoy the legal protections that they enjoy, they have to insist that their own fact checks are not actually facts, uh, which is which is just this amazing irony uh, and is actually the most honest thing they've said in quite some time. The fact checks are not facts. They are the opinions of often some very dubious people. When you look into these so-called fact-checking organisations, mm. the people that run them, the people that own them, the people that staff them and do that research are 
sketchy, many of them. And when you do what you did and you dive into the reasoning and the explanation for why they've fact-checked something, often it is extremely thin, extremely thin, and often thinner than the thing that they were fact-checking in the first place. Yeah. There's got to be some, there's got to be some, you know, I don't don't know how they do it, exactly what they go through in the processes to what they, but they're very quick to deem anything that that contradicts the the narrative being pushed, very quick to deem that as misinformation. But when it's the other way around, it's what they find every, every corner of the internet to find whatever they need to find to justify their their viewpoint on something. Right. Um, And that's causing a lot of, a lot of headaches because you trust what you see on Google or I I Mm. used to, right? Yeah. yeah, Not anymore, but I used to. So, you know, if the average person goes, no, you don't get myocarditis from the vaccine and they Google it, they say very rare, very rare, very rare, very, just all talking it down, playing it down. Yeah. When you go to other search engines, you're like, fuck, like DuckDuckGo, for example. Yeah. yeah you're like, yeah. shit. Like, it, it looks bad. The difference yeah. is, is unbelievable between Google and DuckDuckGo and I'm sure many other um, yeah. browsers. But, you know, yeah. this is where people need to understand is that it's not a conspiracy. It's it's fact. It's fact. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. not. And people it's need to, to people. Absolutely. And it's happened to me. Right, Like, right now, I've got my main Instagram account, which has been belted. Yeah, like belted. Like my stories went from thirty thousand views a day to I think I've got like twenty eight hundred, right? So destroyed it, right? Um, Because they said that a few of their fact checkers have have determined that it's well, okay. But one of the posts they pulled up was when I said back in um, I think it was the beginning of October, um, and I shared a clip of of me and Dr. McCullough in our podcast, and uh, Mm. where it stated that um, you can still catch COVID and spread it if you're vaccinated. Yeah. That's, no, that's that's that, that's no longer disputed. That's not. It's not. <laughs> Those people that were saying it's false are now saying that's true. But yet, there's no way for me to say, "Listen, mm. you fucking fix this," because it, it, yeah. it's my livelihood, right? I got yeah. I got put off my job mandates like a lot of other people. Yeah. Uh, my podcast, my platform, and things like that is is my livelihood. So when they do that, they're costing me and my family money. Like it, it's yeah. our it's our livelihood gone. So I think there needs to be some accountability on those fact checkers and to yeah. prove and a dispute process. And uh, because mate, most of the things that I've said um, are 100% factual. And if I, I have been wrong, I yeah. have been wrong. Maybe just yeah, a, a, yeah, a error in judgment or whatever. I will delete the post. Um, yeah. I did it just the other week when I first shared that story of that seven-year-old. There was a lot of yeah. people saying, listen, I don't think it's true. And there's a lot of yeah. debate. So due to that, yeah. I removed the post and I put yeah. a story up and said, I've removed my recent post. Uh, yep. due to the fact that I'm not sure whether it's factual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and you know, this, this is, is this is you know, my, I've made mistakes as well. And my policy until recently has been: if I've made a mistake, I won't delete it. I will edit it, and I'll, I'll change what I've said to say, "Hey, guys, I got this wrong." Da da da. Now I can't risk that anymore because for me, that's a transparency thing, right? To mm. say, "Hey, world, I got it wrong. Here's the thing that I got wrong," you know, mm. um, and and that's just transparency on my part. I can't take that risk anymore because even though I've put that disclaimer up there, I could still get fact check on, checked on the post and have my page pulled because of something that I have already come out and said, hey, guys, I was wrong about that. In addition to the fact that you can get your page pulled over things that, like you said, are actually right. I mean, let's not forget, rewind one year and mandatory vaccines were a conspiracy theory. Mm. Now, they're, they're a daily reality that is hurting a lot of people. Uh, and, and so often we've seen that be the case where they're, they're fact checking things that then later come to pass, but you still get pinged for it. You still get deplatformed for it. You still suffer the consequences um, of having said something that actually was true, 
because it didn't suit them at the time. It, mm. it is a huge problem. And uh, again, I'm a free market guy, right? If they were, if this is how they want to run their platforms, fine. But they don't get to claim to be to be a platform. They become yeah. publishers, and they must lose their legal protections as a so-called platform if they are going to behave like a publisher. Uh, so mm. you can't have it both ways. And again, the problem here is not the free market. The problem is that they're in bed with regulators and under US law are getting special privileges because they call themselves a, a platform while simultaneously behaving as a publisher. If they want to be a publisher, that's fine, right? The same as the Herald Sun, same as anyone else. They, they can moderate comments. They can delete comments. They choose who they publish, which opinion pieces and whatever they publish, right? They are a publisher. Facebook, Instagram, all these guys are behaving in exactly the same way now, but they're enjoying legal privileges because they're in bed with the US government. They're enjoying legal privileges as though they're not. The problem is that symbiotic relationship between the government and these corporations. Yeah, and they're not going to defy each other, right? So the no. government aren't going to try and out Facebook. If they do, they'll do it in a very modest way. The same reason the Facebook won't contradict the government because they're in a world of trouble if they do that. So, Correct. You know, it's, you know, we're talking about business. How much is Facebook worth? Meta. Fucking trillions, right? Yeah. yeah so, yeah. you know, I'm not going to win and argue with Instagram. I'm not going to say, no. listen, fucker, you remove my post. You will do what I say and reinstate it and give my kit. They're going to think, who the fuck are you? See you later. Like, permanently. Right. Right. So there's no point. So yeah. what I'm trying to say to people, people get upset with me and they say, man, listen, you don't post. I said, well, listen, I've got to be careful because yeah. what good am I to anybody? Yeah, I put an article up. I put a post up a week ago that was removed, and that's when it really yeah. hurt me. They got me the yeah. official warning. All it yeah. was was I shared a Forbes article headline from December and mm -hmm. another Forbes article headline from January. Yeah, right? under each other. The first, the top one said Pfizer investing in uh, medicinal marijuana cannabis. Yeah, yeah. Spent a huge amount of money investing in it. Then under that there was an up there was another article a month later, like only a few days prior to when I shared it, that said. Yeah. Um, CBD shown to be effective at treating COVID. Yeah. I thought, fuck, and what, is that a quid? You know, <laughs> that, that, that was a boiler made. And all I did was put the little, you know, that emoji, the little thinking, whatever it is, the thinking yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I put yeah. that there and posted it. That got removed for misinformation. Got removed. Yeah, incredible. I didn't publish that. That's yeah. Forbes. That's a, they're That's both Forbes, Forbes yeah. articles, right? Yeah. Why should I be punished for sharing an article that Forbes shared? I'm not a publisher. Yeah. yeah. yeah they're yeah. the publisher. Right. So you're going to be even sharing articles. You've got to be very careful. I get the same thing all the time. Oh, why aren't you talking about this? Why aren't you talking about that? Um, there's, there's two responses. Number one is bandwidth. I need to pick the subjects that I that matter to me and to my audience because I can. I, there's only so much bandwidth that my audience has for, for what I put out. There's only so much bandwidth that I have for the topics that I can stay on top of. Um, and, and so there's things that, that I just go, okay, it might be true. It might not be. It might be important. It might not be, but that's not that's not something that I'm going to talk about, right? I'm going to leave mm. that to other people to talk about those things. But then there's the second issue is the one that you raise where you have to be extremely careful now. And so even if you don't get fact-checked, um, you and I and everybody else are constantly asking ourselves the question, can I post this? Mm. You know, and there was a long time there, there were, there were uh, there's a lot of information coming out about early treatments that mm. I simply couldn't touch. I had to put it up on my um, my, my um, subscribe star, which is kind of my private sort of platform where, where people can support me financially and I can put whatever I want there because I don't censor. I couldn't put it on my Facebook page. I couldn't put it on my Instagram. I could only put it over there. Um, and we're continuously having to self-censor and it has this chilling effect on debate. And these are important debates that we need to be having, yeah. but we can't have them because you and I are sitting there going, I can't afford to get deplatformed. 
I can't. It's my love. And you know what? It, the, the way the world is at the moment, the industry that I worked in, mental health, obviously is mm. health. So my chances of, of getting back into that industry at the moment, and you know, the problem, not a problem, um, but it's an obstacle is the fact now that a lot of people know me and recognize me, right? So yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's an issue. That is an issue. Yeah. If I'm trying to get a, a job back in the mental health industry, they're going to think, because I was a manager in my previous position. So yeah, okay. they're going to think, oh, you know, this guy, you know, it, can't it's, have this guy. it's going to be yeah. difficult. Um, so it, it's solely what I rely on. And I'm lucky that I've got a, a great, um, a great following and they love me and I love them back. And it's, it's you know, yeah. it's great. I love it. Um, it's been incredibly important for, for me in order to grow and, you know, you know, yeah. exactly how it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've got to be careful with that. And man, I remember, you know what? If you post an article about ivermectin, you get treated like you're a fucking terrorist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It's like, yeah. shit, what did I say? Especially to the people that are naive. that They see something mm. that looks positive and can help people. This this yeah. study about ivermectin looks probably better publish this. Fuck, you'll have the, you know, the, man, it was bad. It was, especially around that, that Sydney protest, that first one. I had the cops show up to my front door. Yeah. I didn't yeah. even go. I didn't even attend yeah. it. Didn't go. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Nor did I post anything about it because I didn't. Right. I didn't even know it was happening until I seen it happening, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They rocked yeah. up at my front door and said, "Oh, you didn't go, did you?" I said, "He goes, oh, I'm here to talk to you about the protest." I said, "What about it?" Then he goes, "Oh, actually, I want to, I want to talk to you here about your opinion." I said, "What?" He's like, "Your opinion on social media." I said, "Well, mother, have an opinion." He said, "Oh, yeah. you, you are, you know, but you know, um, just you know, just try and you know, tone it down a bit. People are getting scared." I said, "Mate, scared." I said, have you fucking turned on channel seven, channel nine? <laughs> yeah, I'm scaring people. <laughs> I'm scaring people. And they were yeah. really good about it. They were all right. But it was more, it was more the, like you came to my door to fucking intimidate me. That's what you correct, did. Correct, correct. Yeah, so exactly I've, what I've happens had... over there in China. It's exactly the same yeah. fucking thing. Just not as black I've, and white. I've had police at my door uh, three times now. And the third time was to arrest me. So I've got two charges of incitement against me, which oh. are going to get heard in court later this oh. year. Um, you know, the the we are we are doing exactly what the Chinese government do. We we th there's this problem. There's this lag between reality and perception. Reality changes, but it takes time for our perception to catch up. Yes. And often that lag can be a decade, right? And so, in ten years' time, how the Victorian government behaved, how the Australian government behaved, the New South Wales government behaved, will be viewed very differently in ten years to how it is right now, because people that aren't seeing it with their own eyes, their perception is ten years old. Their perception of their government is, is what it was in the 2010s-ish. Mm. By the time we reach 2030, they'll be able to look back at this and go, man, what was going on? That was crazy. Or in a worst case scenario, things will have gotten so bad by then that they'll be starting to recognize what, what happened and, and how it started. But if you don't see it in your, with your own eyes, if you're not at the protest, if you don't have police showing up at your door, if you're not actually exposed to this stuff in person, because that very quickly changes your perception, right? Mm. If you're just consumed with mainstream media and all the, the the sort of daily life and what have you it's going to take 10 years for a lot of people to really start to catch up and go that was crazy what were we doing we have become china light and a lot of people react to that like oh we still have elections we still have you know, you have that's crazy crazy language no, no no i'm sorry have a look we have a social credit system we have a government that is willing to abuse human rights in order to get its way that is willing to arrest uh, dissidents and charge them with absurd charges in order to put bail conditions on them, in order to silence them. Um, we, we are literally walking the exact same path and our perception of who we are needs to catch up really freaking quick because if we keep lagging behind in our perception, then this is going to get a lot worse before people realise that it's gotten so bad and actually start to do anything about it.
Yeah, and it's it, this is the time and this is the moment that yeah. a lot of people will say, why don't we do something now, like where we are now? Why don't we do it then? Yeah. We wouldn't yeah. be here now. And then it'll be yeah. people like you and I, ironically enough, in five, ten years from now, they'll be looked at as the ones, fuck, we should have listened to them. Or you know what? Yeah. We should have at least given them the time. And, and yeah. you know, because most of the time, you know, people will, like, why do you think I haven't, like, for example, with, with my podcast, I made this point before. Yeah. Brands don't want to work with me. No. Why? No, same. Why? Now, yeah. my podcast was the number one show for weeks. Weeks. Yeah. Right? Gets more listens than Channel 7, Channel 9, podcast, the rest of them. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Why? My engagement rate is it, off its, it's nuts, right? Yeah. Yeah. Why? If you're a brand, or if I was a brand, I would think, fuck, that's good, right? Um, yeah. Why? It's because of one thing. Because they're scared of their reputation being, you know, being associated Correct. with someone like being myself. Correct. Correct. Now, what am I doing wrong besides speaking and saying, listen, we deserve, you know, we live in Australia first and foremost. Don't fucking forget that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't have to earn freedom. We have freedom. Yeah. Stop this vaccinating back to freedom. No, no, we have freedom. Yeah. Right, we have freedom. That's all I'm saying, really. If you want to get the vaccine yeah. or you don't, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, yeah Don't right. make me get it. Yeah, don't, don't make it mandatory. It. Yeah. But yeah, if you yeah. want to get it, terrific. I'm happy for you. I hope it all works out. I hope. I, hope. I don't wish ill on anybody. Yeah. Correct. Right? Correct. But and there's this perception that the minute you start speaking about mandates, you start speaking about protests, start speaking about the mm. government in a negative way, they, they mm. categorize you straight in that anti-vax conspiracy theory. It's like, no. Correct. Correct. And that's that polarization I was talking about before, where they, they, they don't want there to be a middle ground. Life is easy if you can just push people into two separate corners. There's the evil people over there. There's the good people over there. I don't have to think any more deeply about that. The media have played into that. Politicians have certainly played into that. And, and we're seeing the outworking of that where people, the minute you don't completely agree with everything over here, then you just get placed all the way over there. And there's no room for nuance. There's no room for, for actually thinking that maybe, you know, maybe there might be a reason you think what you think. Uh, maybe you might actually have some data to back up what you think. That thought doesn't cross their mind. You don't agree, therefore you're over here. And, and it's incredibly toxic and makes it very difficult to actually have the conversations that we need to be having in order to get better outcomes. And that's if so important conversations, debate. Mm. Like mm. we should be able to have, you know, one of those doctors that have been outed and, and labeled as misinformation spreaders and all that. We should have them on. Can you imagine? I, I would pay for it. I would I would go and I would pay 50, but I'd pay a hundred bucks to watch mm. a live or main event pay-per-view. Dr. Fauci debate, Dr. McCullough, I would pay a hundred bucks to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. I'd pay a thousand bucks to watch it because it'd be, <laughs> you know what? And if Fauci can prove him wrong or at least, you know, uh, you know, find, find things in his argument, I would go, Oh mm. shit. Okay. But I haven't yeah. got that opportunity because I've got these people saying what I'm saying is right. Don't yeah. listen to them. Yeah. But then I've got the other group, the ones that are being deplatformed, but they're actually providing evidence data. and data to support yeah, they're what they're saying. Data. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So who, who do you believe? A, gov a government, a gov don't forget that, a government-employed doctor, mm -hmm. right, health minister, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. a, a, what reason does Dr. McCullough have to lie? What what incentive? Yeah. He's, if anything, yeah. it's costing him, right? Yeah, correct, so correct. People need to look at that and, and, and use their fucking brain yeah. and think, okay. Yeah. And this is, this, is, this is a key point that gets lost on a lot of people. The minute, the minute politicians get involved, everything is political. There is nothing in the political world that is not political. The choice of who our health, our chief health officer is, was a political decision. 
It was not actually based on looking at all of the possible available candidates and finding the most qualified, knowledgeable person for the job. It was about finding the person that was politically appropriate for that particular government. Mm -hmm. And once someone is, is appointed into that position, they understand that their job is to support the government. If they don't, they lose the job right? Yeah. Absolutely everything becomes political. So when people say, oh, we're listening to the experts, I, I love saying, oh, the, which, which experts? The, the, the experts that Daniel Andrews handpicked or the experts that are actually experts in their field globally, right? Which, which experts are we talking about here? Because you can find in any given area, you can find an expert for every single thing. You will find dental experts that are saying that toothpaste is a bad idea, mm. right? And that we shouldn't be using toothpaste, right? That they exist. Many of them, yeah. Now, if, if you picked a health minister that took that view, then you would have a very different public discourse about dental hygiene than if you pick a health minister that says you need to brush twice a day, floss, use toothpaste, blah, 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 right? If you have a health minister like Professor John Ioannidis, um, you know, who is literally the world's leading mind on the statistics around epidemics. He's a statistician. He's an epidemiologist. He's literally the epidemiologist that all the other epidemiologists learned from. In order to become epidemiologists, they had to read his stuff and learn from him, right? He comes out in March, April, and May of 2020 saying, hey, guys, we don't have enough data to be making the decisions that we're making yet. And I'm really concerned that we're overreacting and that we're going to cause more harm than good. He was, he was very public about that in the middle of 2020. Imagine if he was your handpicked health minister. Right? We would have had a completely different response over here. So the response that we've had is not driven by the science. It's driven by the politics and the fact that the politicians picked the experts that they picked. Everything is political the moment politicians are involved. Absolutely. And look, I understand the way politics work. And I understand that health ministers themselves don't necessarily need to be doctors. But there's got to be some accountability still. I mean, yeah. you've got in New South Wales, you've got Brad Hazard, who's yeah. like a fucking a few stutters away from being in an aged care facility, right? Signing off on health orders that impact millions of people. Yeah. He wouldn't have a fucking clue. He's just signing off on what he's told to sign off on, right? Yeah. So yeah. if he was someone who knew and was a doctor or whatever it may be, to be able to yeah. ask a few questions back, return, serve, or listen, what about this? What about that? Okay, yeah, yeah it makes yeah. sense, sign off. And not only that, if you read the health orders, there's no data. It's just, you got to yeah. do this. Yeah. What, from 11.59, on, you have to do this. Yeah, correct. There's correct. no please say here for for reasons why. This is why. Like yeah. I know for a fact that the reason we had outdoor masks mandated in New South Wales was because you guys down in Victoria had it and the media were putting pressure on us up here. Yeah. And they've the admitted thing. that openly. The deputy premier when he was here, that John, what was it, Bar Barilara, what was his name? Barilara, yeah. yeah. He came out and said that. My outdoor yeah. mask mandates was due to media pressure. Yeah. They've, yeah. they've openly, in New South Wales, openly said that Dr. Kerry Chant, who's, who's the main advisor for our government, said that mm. a, a curfew and all the, the, you know, the they targeted Southwest Sydney. I'm sure you know. Yeah. That. Yeah. 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 Her advice was never that. Her advice was to put a blanket over Sydney, Greater Sydney, yeah. Western Sydney, Southwest Sydney, you know, south, everywhere, entire Sydney, yeah. blanket it. Yet yeah. they handpicked the Southwest Sydney. Yeah. Right? Yeah. A small part of Sydney. And they said, yes, we're acting on the best health advice. Well, we now know that you're you're talking shit. No, you weren't. Yeah. Yeah. You're making your own decisions. Yeah. So when they say to me next time, hey, listen, you'll put a mask back on, why the fuck should why why should I trust you? Mm. You've lied to yeah, me three that's times. Right. That's right. 
That's right. And and this is, I think, the, one of the long-term effects of all of this is going to be a real breakdown in trust. I certainly know a, a huge breakdown in trust between the Victorian public and Victoria police down here as a result of their heavy-handed approach to protesters and, and so forth, uh, but also a, a very wide-reaching and long-lasting breakdown in trust between the public and politicians and, and bureaucrats. Now, in my opinion, that's probably not a bad thing because I don't think we should ever have trusted them as much as what we have done. And, and I think in, in a way, this is a painful lesson um, that is actually going to serve us well going forward to, to, to actually have more skepticism of these authorities. But again, that perception is going to take time to catch up. There's probably 30% of the Victorian population is already there and very sceptical and, and very resentful of, of the power that's been exercised over them. And probably 70% of the Victorian population who are still largely on board are not really asking themselves those questions. But as time passes, more and more people will, especially as we head down this booster after booster path. It's just pushing people very quickly to begin asking questions that were unthinkable only sort of two well, years ago. Well, shouldn't every, like, if you're sitting there and you, you've, you've followed them and you've done what they've asked you to do and you've, as I say, done your part, yep. when they start saying now, you need to take an effective vaccine, effective vaccine, what, four times a year? Four times a year. Now, I'm sorry, but that's, kind of not effective yeah no if it was no, effective right. you wouldn't need to get it four times a year yeah the, the, last time i checked people don't, I, question, people don't question last time i checked uh, i didn't have to have my measles vaccine four times a year uh, no. No. <laughs> you know, um, now there are some there, there are other vaccines that the effectiveness does wane over time tetanus and you know you, you might get a, another hepatitis shot or something like that even though you might have had it in the past you might get another one you know if you're about to travel overseas to certain areas where where that's a particular problem um but this idea that you're just you're showing up uh, every every three months, like getting your car serviced or or you know whatever, like you know this is this is it's utterly absurd to say that these are effective, and then to have to put them on a, on a program like that is is absolute madness. Now I'm mindful that you said you had another call you had to make at one o'clock, and we've just gone yes. one o'clock. Like what do you want to do? Attention to the time, mate. I wasn't paying attention to it. For that. No, <laughs> I, I told you, listen, my record is over four hours. So when you oh, get me on to yeah. a chat, it, we're going to chat. <laughs> oh, I love to, you're lucky I haven't got a bottle of whiskey next to me. We're here at six o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, look, before I, I do go, I just wanted to speak to you about the reason I wanted to speak to you was your, was your documentary. And, and mate, mm. um, congratulate you because it was Thank brilliantly you. done. Absolutely terrific. It, it was not what I thought it would be. In terms yep. of, like, it was better. It was different in a better way. So I thought yeah. maybe, you know, there could be a few, you know, people on there that are, you know, saying absurd things. You know, as men, you know, that aren't necessarily yeah, yeah. the case. There was none of that shit. Yeah. yeah. It was straight down the but, middle. And it was, it made, it was, I'm telling you, in, in terms of emotions, it made me happy. It made me sad. made me angry. Um, mm. it, it was incredible. No, thank you. I, look, I appreciate that. And what I wanted to do was to represent the core of the people of Melbourne that have stood up. And yes, there are fringe groups with, you know, in, in the movement. Absolutely. That's true of every movement. You look at Black Lives Matter, you know, rallies, you're going to, you know, if you want to focus on the fringe groups and use that to tar the whole group, one, you're an idiot uh, and you're ignoring reality. Um, and, and two, that's just cynical, right? That's a cynical way to approach, you know, people with different ideas to you. And so what I wanted to do, and, and I say it on the poster, like this is not intended to be in and of itself a balanced, you know, here's this side of the story, here's that side of the story. No, no, no. This is our story because the politicians have told their side of the story. The media have boosted their side of the story. The media have said all kinds of lies and smears about us. This is our reply. This is us saying, okay, yep, sure. You've heard all those things. 
now listen to what we have to say about ourselves. And what I tell people is you don't have to agree with me. You don't have to agree with what I've done, but you cannot claim to know who I am or who we are as a movement until you've seen Battleground Melbourne. Don't claim to have any idea who we are or why we did what we did or even what happened until you've seen Battleground Melbourne. And you can still disagree with me after that. That's fine. But at least at that point, you're going to have a much more accurate understanding of who we were, who we are, and why we did what we did, and the things that actually went on on the streets of Melbourne. But you couldn't disagree with it. But that's the thing: if anyone watches it, in a you know from the start to finish, you can't, mm. you can't possibly. What are you going to say? He's lying. Yeah. You've got footage. Yeah. You've supplied yeah. footage. Like yeah, you can't possibly pick it apart. Yeah. Well, but look. Thank you. That's. Yeah, I, I do appreciate that. And, and my hope is that it boosts morale and, and encourages people, not just Victorians, but people around Australia and potentially people around the world um, to keep fighting because, because we, we can't just turn around at some point and go, oh, well, I guess we lost. We'll just all go home now. No, look at what's happening. Look at what's happening. We will be judged by our children and our grandchildren. We will be judged by history. And, and I'm sorry, but walking away and stopping the fight just is not an option when you understand what's, what's going on. Yeah, and look, you, you go. All of us, we're going against the, a beast. We're going against the, you know, it's not like we're going against just your neighbour or the bloke yeah, down the road. Right. You're going against the government yeah. with unlimited resources. Yeah. They can send you to court five days a week if they want. Get the best yeah. representation. Won't bother them, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, they're going after the little guy. Yeah. And and that's where I I I take it a bit personal because you have a right to say what you mm. want to say. I'm not I'm not going to get into details of your legal matter. Yeah. Um, but incitement in itself is is incitement like people getting what's his coming of his name now who uh organized the original sydney protest he was charged and found guilty in like a few days when the fuck yeah. does that ever happen yeah yeah, ever. yeah exactly that's ridiculous yeah. he was yeah. punished he was punished for yeah. daring it was a show trial it was government. a show trial yeah this is what's going to happen yeah. if you go against what we tell you to do yeah back yeah. to china for a second yeah. how far away is that we're, we're, uh, we're this far away yeah, look, in, in some in some respects, we're already there. It's just not as widespread. Um, and, and again, our perception is lagging behind. We, we, we are already there in many respects, and, and but we just don't think we are. Yeah, and j- just from when I was a teenager growing up to now, we used to be able to have fun when you were a kid, you know, innocent stuff, you'd mm. get away mm. with it. And you, yeah. I can't know what it's like down there in Melbourne, but I can't drive any more than 5Ks without going under mobile speed cameras, mobile phone mm-hmm. detection cameras, mm-hmm. fucking mm-hmm. highway cameras monitoring traffic. Mm-hmm. RBTs mm-hmm. on the side of the road, child coming up behind you, pulling you over. Um, yeah. It's fucking madness. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like it, it, it's harassment. Like, I haven't done anything. If I've done something, harass me. Fine. I just, yeah. But yeah. I've done nothing. Yeah. That's well, this is, this, this is a point that I make, and I get called anti-police for making this point, which I think is just, again, a lazy slur. Um, but in my opinion, the police should operate a lot more like the fire brigade, right? They should respond when there's a problem. The fire brigade aren't driving around down, down, you know, up and down the highway looking for a fire, looking for a problem. And they certainly don't go pulling people over to say, oh, have you lit a fire recently? Um, yeah. You know, to, this, this, this model of policing where they are they're everywhere in your life, you're being watched every single thing that you do, and they're just out there, uh, I think is the wrong model of policing. And it, it completely inverts the relationship between the government and, and the people. When you have government agents just out there always looking, always watching, you know, for someone to trip up, oh, you jaywalked, oh, you did this, you did that. When there's a problem, the police should be called. Until yeah. there's a problem, they shouldn't. They Absolutely. shouldn't be involved. Absolutely. And they, they look for it. And that's been, mm. you know, especially in the, you know, public holidays, long weekends, they're out there in force. 
purely a revenue raising exercise. Uh, you know, hundreds so of millions happening a year. forever, right? Yeah. Um, but it's it's not the country that I grew up in. No. It's so far from that. It's unrecognizable. If you were to make five years ago, for just five yeah. years, for five years, you put me, I wouldn't believe it. But no. you imagine walking up to a shop and uh, have you scanned in? The fuck? Yeah. What do you mean if I scanned? Yeah. Right, yeah. I scan yeah, the yeah. groceries. I don't scan myself in. That's what you're <laughs> yeah. at. It's, it's it's gone. It, it, it's they've lost the plot, in many respects, unnecessarily. Yeah. And and yeah. you know, it, it needs to it needs to stop. And it, it won't stop unless we continue to do what we're doing. And and mate, you've got an extremely um, strong platform there, and mate, yeah. a, incredible ability as as a director to oh, produce. What do you, what do you call yourself, director? Oh, I was I was the director. Yeah, director. yeah. Um, to get to put that documentary together, how long did it take you to do it start to finish? From when I actually started working on it in earnest was uh, a bit over three months and it's still not quite finished. There were some things that I wasn't happy with in the audio mix and a few things like that. So my team are working on on that and we're going to re-release. Uh, so at the moment, it's only available on YouTube. We're going to put it back on YouTube again in 4K uh, and with some of these issues fixed. Uh, and then we'll spread it across all the other platforms, Rumble and Getter and and um, Vimeo. We'll just spread it across every platform yeah. uh, to try and get it just out there as, as far as we possibly, possibly can. But that's probably early next week at this stage. It's okay. just taking us a little bit of time to just clean up a few things that I wasn't happy with. Um, obviously, when you've got a deadline, you've got a premiere, um, you've just got to kind of go with what you've got. Um, but uh, yeah, there's things that could be done better and, and we're, we're working on that now. And we'll do a re-release uh, probably early next week. Before I go, Battleground 2 or you want them done? Look, no, look, I, I, I want to do more work, but I'm not sure that, you know, Battleground Australia or Battleground Earth, whatever, you know, sequels are always worse than the originals, um, you know, and I was uniquely, pays off. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I was uniquely placed to talk about what happened in Victoria because I was there from the very beginning. I was one of the speakers at the very first protest and I've watched it all unfold in front of me. And I know a lot of the key players and people involved and was able to get them in the documentary. I'm not in that same position for, for example, New South Wales or, or across Australia. Um, there are definitely some things that I have in mind that I want to do, um, but I'm just sitting on my hands a little bit and just letting, letting a few things play out and giving some pretty deep consideration to that because I don't just want to rush into another project for the sake of doing another project. Yep. Um, I really want to make sure that what I do is, is really contributing and pushing the dialogue forward in the way that, in my opinion, Battleground Melbourne does. I think mm. it says things that, that other people haven't said uh, or if they've said it, it hasn't been in that kind of a format where it can reach the unreached, it can reach the, the middle ground people the way that it can in the form of, of a docker. Um, and so I, I need to be asked, you know, I, I try to stay ahead of the curve I try not to just be repeating what everybody else is already saying. I'm, I'm trying to say, okay, well, what are the things that are maybe pushing it right now? But, but in a couple of months' time, you know, it, 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 you know I, I like my work to hold up over time. Mm. I don't want to just make something that's just for the moment. I like, I like it when my work, like the video I mentioned earlier, The Forbidden History of Unpopular People, you know, 10 years later, people are still talking about it. They're still watching it online. They're still commenting on it. It's become more relevant now than it was even mm. when I made it. Uh, and, and so that's what I always look for in my work. It takes a lot of energy, takes a lot of time and a lot of heart to, to do something like Battleground Melbourne. Uh, and so I want to make sure that I'm not just doing something for the sake of doing it. I want it to stand the test of time and I want it to push the conversation forward. So I'll probably have a clearer idea in another month or two. Mate, well, listen, again, it was incredible, really. 
I recommend that everyone listen to this, watches it, and it's on YouTube. So you're going to remove the one that the same one that I saw. Was it the family and friends pre-release? Or yeah, something? yeah. So look, we've we, we've I had to release it because I made the promise that I would, but that's not the final version. So it's listed as a family and friends. Um, what we'll do, we'll leave that one on there, but I'll put up a little a little banner, a little pop up that says, "Hey, if you want to watch." The, the the actual official version click here and it'll take you across to the 4k version with the improved audio and a few other updates oh, well make sure you keep me posted on that so i can update the links in the podcast bio and go across oh, yeah, there but you. man it's been a pleasure you're welcome back anytime thank you mate i really appreciate time, I'll, it i'll have a cigar with you and um yeah listen let's have cigars and whiskey next time um you know and uh, and really kick back i mean who i mean we, we've talked for an hour and 45 minutes already we'll probably go for five hours if we were both uh, both having a drink absolutely but, uh, mate, it's been a pleasure congratulations on all the work you've done and you, uh, the, the following that you've that you've earned yourself it's well deserved and uh, look I, I wish you all the very very best as you go forward and let's talk again